This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Hello and welcome back to season six of the Referendum Podcast, brought to you by FinFlamSports.com with your host Big John and lead analyst Jesse J. Hello, everyone, and this is your host, Big John, brought to you by FinFlamSports.com with lead analyst Jesse J. And this is The Referendum. Jesse, how are you? Good. How about you? Pretty well. We've had a two-week uh, kind of hiatus, and we're going to review week 11 and 12 over the past two weeks of the NFL, kind of concentrate on the biggest issues of the past two weeks and not go too long. But um, let's break it down right now. Uh, what do we got first, Jess? So we have some injuries from the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow, which were the two quarterbacks injured, and they're gonna be out for the year. Obviously, you have Deshaun Watson for the Cleveland Browns, uh, Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals. Deshaun Watson dealing with his sh- with a shoulder injury, Joe Burrow dealing with a wrist injury. Those are two big losses, and they're two two contending teams. Both of those quarterbacks are gonna be out for the year. That's heartbreaking news for those teams because now you wonder. If the Cleveland Browns can find anybody who's good enough for quarterback to come in, and after last week, it doesn't seem like they they have found the guy, and the Bengals seem to be in the same situation, especially because, in my opinion, they didn't have A.J. McCarron start in last week's game, which I think is a huge detriment to the team because at least he's the only guy out of all those backup quarterbacks they have on that list, on that roster, to have played at any high level of football in the past year. Well, well, and with, and with, uh, with Cleveland, I think they're going to just keep going back to, they probably should have added another quarterback. They originally had Josh Dobbs on their team and they were the team that traded him to Arizona. And I think they're going to look back at, we probably should have kept an extra quarterback. Uh, just given some of the issues you've seen with quarterback at times. I don't, even if, even if you really like one quarterback, you think, okay, we can get a draft pick for another. I think what we've seen with a team like the 49ers last year is that, Sometimes you just have bad luck at the quarterback position, and a team like Cleveland that was having a great year, it's basically been derailed because they can't stay healthy at quarterback. And then for the Bengals, or for the Bengals, obviously, you go from being a Super Bowl contending team that is surging to a team that is now just hoping maybe you lose the rest of the games uh, this season, so you get a top pick and maybe try to add to that team. 
it's kind of a waste of a year if you're the Bengals. You go from thinking we might have a chance of getting back to the Super Bowl, and then it, everything's just over. Does we the have, situation for the for the Cincinnati Bengals, does that scream draft a quarterback heading into the offseason? I think maybe a mid-round quarterback, like a second, third, fourth-round quarterback, you try to develop as a backup, or you go out and you actually pay a real backup because Burroughs had some issues, especially early in the season. The last couple seasons, he's, I mean, 2020, his rookie year, he tears his ACL. I believe last year, I think he had an appendectomy. And then this year, he has the calf thing for basically the first month and a half of the season. So I think if you're the Bengals, you have to, if you're the Bengals, I think you have to go and you have to actually invest in a real backup quarterback. You can't have Jake Brown and be your backup. How long is his deal that he just, that he just signed? Joe I Burrow? Six-year deal. How long? I believe it was five or six years. They may be in trouble because we're seeing a pattern here with Joe Burrow. And it's not saying that he's not competitive or a great quarterback because he is an elite quarterback. But you're putting the success of the team at risk because you're becoming or being late. You're going to, you're going to become labeled as injury prone. I think that's a huge problem for the Bengals heading forward. And I don't watch college football um, like many other people. So I don't know who, who the best quarterback would be to fit for them. Um, they need to be worried about the quarterback position going forward because they have a decent team with the exception of their offensive line, who I, which I still think they haven't put any money towards no matter what their success is. It's, it's because of the quarterback and the, and the, and the receivers, but they need, they need to do something that's going to be a legit insurance plan to ensure their future of success in the coming years. Yeah. I just, I mean, if you, if you look at the Bengals, they just, them not adding a Carson Wentz at back of quarterback is going to, it's going to be a thing that bites them kind of in the ass because you had Burrow who was injured. He finally seemingly was getting healthy and then he has the wrist injury and your season is completely over. We have a couple more injuries to go over. We have Jonathan Taylor from the Colts. He's dealing with an injury right now. The Colts aren't really sure how serious it is. You have Miles Garrett who was spotted wearing a sling. Uh, the Cleveland Browns pass rusher. That would be a tough loss because he's been one of the best players in the in the league and maybe probably the defensive player of the year. Absolutely. He, it was in the same game Burrow gets hurt. Mark Andrews has an ankle injury. He's expected to be out the rest of the year. Well, at Move first, I thought it was a head injury when Mark Andrews went down um, in that game, and he just didn't just didn't yeah. seem to get up as, as quick as people assumed he was going to get up. And it's a huge loss for the Ravens, um, at least for – for the, the Lamar Jackson's dependency, his his safety net, his safety blanket um, that he could go to in the most crucial situations of an NFL game. Well, and part of the issue is that you're now expecting Zay Flowers to step into the role as your top receiver. And you you have to hope and pray Odell Beckham do, doesn't get hurt. You need Odell Beckham Jr. to be healthy. And if he's not, then you're looking at a limited offense for the Ravens. They, their passing game has been pretty efficient, but it's not been overly maybe effective where you're going to need horses in the playoffs. I know offense in general has been down this season, but this is the type of year where you're going to need people fully healthy. You're going to need quarterback healthy. You're going to need the weapons healthy going to the playoffs. You know that there's always Absolutely. where you need to score points. And with the Ravens, I do worry without Mark Andrews. That their receivers are a little bit smaller now. Can you get physical with them and can you kind of push them around in a playoff game? So that'd be the one worry there. With the Colson Jonathan Taylor, uh, that he's just, he's never really kind of been right this year. He missed training camp, holding out to get a new contract, gets a new contract. Then he gets hurt, 
And this is one of the reasons why, if you're Jonathan Taylor, why you hold out and why you're happy to have your new deal is he's hurt and he luckily he has the money. Uh, if this were to be anything long term, he knows he's secure for the next couple seasons. And with Miles Garrett, he's been the best defense player in the league this year and him being hurt. You just it's been, it's been almost a season from hell from Cleveland because they've had they've had a lot of success, but their quarterback play has been ba- has been bad because Deshaun Watson has been banged up a majority of the season. And then you have Miles Garrett, who gets hurt. Nick Chubb's already hurt, and he had the big he had the big leg injury in week two. If you're Cleveland, you just have to be frustrated because the season on paper looks so promising, and now it's it's starting to go south. And it, it, it does look it does appear to be that way. Miles Garrett is no doubt to me the um, defensive player of the year thus far through the season. If he gets hurt, it is cataclysmic for that for the success of the team for the for the Cleveland Browns. They need him to stay in every game so they can stay in every game to be competitive. And if you have a loss at quarterback and a loss a huge that huge loss at defense, this team is going to go nine and uh, seven and nine. They're already seven and four right now, and if they don't get something figured out, and if Miles Garrett does not come back because he's hurt over the next couple games, to me, they just need to win three more games, and they're in the playoffs. How successful they're going to be, I don't know. But for them to be successful, Miles Garrett has got to come back, and they got to figure out the quarterback situation, or at least you need a quarterback who can do just enough to win you the game. And it does not look like they're going to find that anytime soon. On the point of Jonathan Taylor, Yes, everything you said is correct, but I don't I don't feel as worried about the Colts because since week one, Zach Moss was really good, and he was very surprising. I believe he's a rookie, if I'm not mistaken. No, he's not. He's been in the league a few years. He was with the – he was a pick by the Bills who they never fully used. So he, he's, had, he's had a really resurgent season, but I do worry about the Colts because Jonathan Taylor gives you a a added layer of of the speed and power that I don't think Zach Moss has. I think Zach Moss is a really good player. He he doesn't quite have what Jonathan Taylor has when Jonathan Taylor is fully healthy. That that's fair, but Zach Moss has performed really well this year. Um I don't I don't think that the Colts have to be that worried, not just yet. But I think they have a good backup running back in Zach Moss to perform and do what the team needs in order for them to be successful and and getting a W each week. What else is next? Okay, so uh, we're going to go to a coach firing right now. It, our first one is Frank Reich being fired by the Panthers. This one to me was a bit surprising because obviously there was some friction with should they take Stroud, should they take Bryce Young, and it seemed like Frank Reich and the coaching staff wanted C.J. Stroud. Their owner wanted Bryce Young. They take Bryce Young. They're 1-10. in 10. Their season's gone south. And you're at a point where they have fired Frank Reich and they're looking to maybe – bring someone in who can work with Bryce Young and get the most out of him. But I just, this has the makings of being a disaster. Just, it had, a, it had the makings of being a disaster from the beginning. And we're seeing it become a disaster in real time. I don't know that you can fix this. I think maybe you can get Bryce Young to play better, but you're having a tough time getting him going. And Frank Reich is an experienced offensive coach and they fired him. I don't really know what they're going to do next unless you're going to try to maybe pull a big name away from a college program or a really good offensive coordinator. But I I just think that team is kind of stuck right now. I think that it's going to get really messy, and it's reminding me of Alex Smith in San Francisco, um, but at a fucking quicker pace. And I think that this is not going to end well for Bryce Young. This marriage between him and the Carolina Panthers is not going to last. 
yeah, I just think this is it, it's something that has it's something that's been that they've been dealing with this since they basically drafted Bryce Young. Is that it seemed like the coaching staff wanted uh, CJ Stroud, the ownership wanted Bryce Young, and they made a mistake, and now the coaching staff is paying the price for it, but. You can't fix having a meddlesome or bad owner, and in this case, it looks like they have a, they being the the Carolina Panthers, seemingly have a bad and meddlesome owner, and there's not really much to fix it. Yeah, you can fire Frank Reich, but moving a quarterback into another offensive system immediately just seems like a big issue, and I I just don't think it's going to work out for the Panthers. They just don't seem to have their shit in order. And they don't. Um, I, I don't know what big names have been thrown out, but I do, I am anticipating them to get a big name. Um, I I. St- I mean, honestly, who who actually wants the job in in Carolina? They're gonna have to overpay. They're gonna have a huge. Thank you again. They're gonna have to overpay for someone again. What is their draft looking like? They don't have heading into next year. They traded multiple draft picks to get Bryce Young and to trade up and get Bryce Young. They don't have a first round pick this year, so one of the bigger problems they have is that they don't have a ton of weapons, and you can't even really add any dynamic weapon unless you're gonna get a veteran free agency because they don't have the draft picks. Now is that on the GM's part or the the owner's fault? I think it's I think it's I think it's a combination with the owner and GM because their coaching staff told you they they were telling you who they wanted. The scouting staff was telling you who they wanted and the GM and owner, in this case more the owner and the GM following what the owner wanted, they take Bryce Young. Bryce Young had clear signs that it might take some time or he had a he had limitations that maybe CJ Stroud didn't have. He's not very big, he doesn't have the greatest arm. And while he's mobile, he's not like he's not the most mobile guy in the world. And he's he's just not overly big. It was always going to be one of those things where it was going to take time for him to develop. And C.J. Stroud was more of a pro ready quarterback. The issue with C.J. Stroud coming out is that if you look at his five best games, he looked he looked like a number one pick. If you look like his if you look at his five worst games, he looked kind of like Derek Carr, where at least in his rookie season so far, we've seen he's looked more like a franchise quarterback and less like a Derek Carr. But it just uh, to me, he was a much safer pick than Bryce Young, and it, their owners seem to fall in love with Bryce Young, and now they're just kind of stuck, and they have to hope that they get a coach who can get the most out of Bryce Young now. Well, maybe Bryce Young is just wrong for Carolina. Maybe he'd uh, be that, more successful somewhere else. Maybe he'd I, be more successful in Washington. I, I think that could be the case because I think he'd be better in more of a quick passing game, and the the Panthers have kind of tried to do that, but they just don't have any weapons. They have some youth at receiver. Their best receiving option is Adam Thielen, who I think is 32 or 33, and he doesn't really have a ton of athleticism anymore, although he's played pretty well this year. They just don't have a ton of weapons, and it was always going to be kind of a multi-year thing. Uh, and it's been rough this year, but you just don't – they don't have the resources unless they're going to trade some of their guys on defense, and that's how they're going to recoup some of the draft picks. It's going to get interesting. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time – it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. 
They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews. So you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Um, I think Washington would honestly be a better suit. I don't know what they would have to do. I mean, what do you give? Do you, do you could you trade Bryce Young for Sam Howell? I mean, I don't and and somebody else or two other people. I don't understand that. I don't I don't know what they would have to do to uh, to make something like that work. If you're the well, if you're the Panthers, you you have you basically have one option because you traded so much and you don't have draft picks to draft another quarterback. You have to kind of ride out with Bryce Young, or if you're not going to ride out with Bryce Young, what you have to do is you have to find a team that's going to take him and would give you a first round quarterback. Well, the problem is there's three, four good quarterbacks coming out in this draft class, there might be five or six quarterbacks that go in the first round. So it's going to be hard, unless someone really loves Bryce Young, to get equal value or even 50% of what you got for for what you traded for Bryce Young. And I just don't feel like the Panthers are in a good position. They are clearly struggling to find an identity with David Tepper, their new owner. They don't, they're throwing around a lot of money, but they don't really have any wins or anything of value other than a couple of nice defensive pieces. Well, and I'm thinking over here thinking, okay, well, but what about New England? I think New England's going to take a quarterback. They're going to take a quarterback in the top five. Because I'm over here thinking their draft picks have been horrible since Tom Brady has left. And one, I mean, Bill Belichick's strength is not is not drafting anybody. It's signing guys off the street. So um, that might be an option and probably a more viable option than than. than depending on Bill Belichick to say, okay, well, let's do this. If you actually had Bryce Young as quarterback in New England, that may, they'd be maybe a six to eight win team. Yeah. Part, part of the problem is that part, part of the problem is that this draft class is pretty highly thought of. And I think what we're going to see is that maybe if this quarterback class is weaker, you might have a team willing to jump at Bryce Young thinking we can, we can negate some of the problems the Panthers have because the Panthers just don't really seem to have the shit in order. But this quarterback class is pretty strong, and I think we're going to see quite a few quarterbacks taken in the first round. You'd rather well, draft your own prospect and trade for somebody else's prospect at this point. Well, there's two two quarterbacks. I'm probably one quarterback that I think, Caleb Williams from USC, and then who else? Uh, Drake May out of North Carolina. Those are probably the two highest rated quarterbacks coming out this year. What about the quarterback from Michigan? I don't. I'm not a big JJ McCarthy guy. Like so, somebody, somebody will probably take JJ McCarthy in the first round just because he can move. He's got a pretty good arm, but I just I don't think he's a NFL starting quarterback. At least, okay, at least okay, but, but, but overall, the top four. You said there's going to be four quarterbacks coming out in the first round. Who are the four? You said, we said Caleb Williams. You said the guy from North Carolina. And who's the other two? Yeah, so you have Caleb Williams. You have Drake May. Uh, I believe Jason McCarthy will probably go in the first round, but then you have someone like Jaden Daniels out of LSU, Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington. Um, well, I think he probably stays in college, but you have Shador, Shador Sanders, who's I, who I know people like. Uh, Colorado struggled the second half of the season, but if you look at Shador Sanders, he has a lot of the traits that NFL teams like. He's He's got pretty good size. He's mobile, got a good arm. 
that's a guy who probably maybe needs to sit a year, but there there are guys in this draft class who are pretty good. And I think NFL teams would rather tra- – they'd rather draft their own prospect and get them fresh as a rookie rather than trade for somebody else's guy who has already played a year. Even, even if that guy, you like the tools, they'd rather draft their own guy than trade for somebody else's guy. What about the court one, uh, a quarterback from from the quarterback from Oregon or the quarterback from Utah? I'm not a big guy. I'm not a big. Are you talking about uh, Bo Nix from Oregon? Yes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Bo Nix is an NFL quarterback. Okay. I mean, he, he's he's a guy who's been in college for five or six years. I just to me he he's I don't think he's I think he's good. I also think it's because he's what 23, 24, playing against a lot of 18, 19 year olders, 20 year olders. That's fair. Okay. What's next, Jess? Uh, we, lastly, we, uh, uh, as part of our headlines, we have Jack Durrell, who was fired by the Commanders. I think this was the first sign of things that come for the Commanders. Would not shock me if they had fired Ron Rivera or if they fired Ron Rivera after this week's game. I'm a little bit surprised as to why they didn't fire him with Jack Durrell, because if you look at Ron Rivera, he, just as much as Jack Durrell, put together that defense and have drafted guys and tried to develop guys, but I think if you look at the combination of those two guys, they haven't been able to really build a defense that's been any good. They have a lot of guys like a, you, you took Jonathan Allen in the first round. You took Jerron Payne in the first round. Chase Young was a first-round draft pick. Montez Sweat was a second-round draft pick. They've put so many resources into this defense, and it sucks. Like, it just I don't understand why you wouldn't also fire Ron Rivera. He's just as much well, as I, 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 Well, to be I, fair, I think that Jack Garrio is a better – Defensive coach than Ron Rivera. Oh, can you repeat I think that? He showed that throughout his throughout his his tenure, even with the Raiders. Oh, Jack Rivera is a better defensive coach than Ron Rivera. Yeah, I mean, Rivera's defense—they just seem to be up and down. He's—I don't really know if he's the X's nose guys. He's more of kind of the culture guy now. And with Del Rio, I just I feel like something wasn't clicking. But because Ron Rivera and Jack Rivera have known each other a long time, he didn't really want to fire him. And it just for as much talent as the commanders had on defense, it just never made any sense why it didn't click. Yeah, I, I don't understand that either. But also, I think that Chase Young was tired of being there. But also, since Chase Young was there, he was hurt, and I didn't yeah. think that helped the camaraderie of the team as a whole. It it it, it has never felt like, uh, other than the first year Ron Rivera was there, it didn't feel like the team, him. It didn't feel like everyone was on the same page. Twenty twenty is a COVID year. It's his first year. It felt like by the end of the season, you know, Alex Smith, I know he missed the playoff game, but when Alex Smith was healthy and playing, felt like, okay, this team has some camaraderie and they, they've got some, it seems like they were pushing all in one direction. Since 2020, it doesn't feel like they've been pushing in the same direction at all. I agree 100%. I think it had a lot to do with ownership, but I also think it had to do a lot to do with fucking Ron Rivera himself. Um, that organization has just been shit. Well, and, and that's, Having someone like Alex Smith there, I actually do think is important because he's a veteran quarterback who's been through a lot of different situations. He is win somebody, games. He's someone who I think is a galvanizer, and they lose Alex Smith to retirement. 2021, I believe, what, they started Taylor Heineke? Yes. No. And then they – It's Car- Well, yeah, yeah. It, it was, in 2021, it was Fitzpatrick and Heineke. 2022, it's Wentz and Heineke. It, it just feels like – once they lost Alex Smith and they lost that certainty there, it became Ron Rivera just kind of played it by hand. And in the case of Ron Rivera, it was pretty obvious that Taylor Heineke was a better fit for them than Carson Wentz, yet they're starting all these other different quarterbacks. And I just, it, it never made any sense with the commanders and Ron Rivera because they just, it felt like every decision they should have made, they made the opposite decision. I think that's the best way to summarize Correct. it. Correct. I agree 100%.
And I was well, I mean, I and I've been called. You know, I've been calling for the for the firing of Ron Rivera. Um, it, it, it makes no sense. Like Eric Bieniemy is going to get head coaching interviews. He's going to be at minimum. He's going to be an offense coordinator for somebody in the NFL next year because Sam Howell has done very well for not being that highly thought of of a prospect. He's not really somebody who. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but like he's he doesn't strike me as someone who's that good. But he's got he's at least looked productive as an NFL quarterback. And I think that's a testament to Eric Bieniemy at least coaching around some of his deficiencies. Uh, some of the issues Sam Howell has are he takes a lot of sacks. I don't think that's really an Eric Bieniemy issue. That's the Sam Howell issue. He doesn't really see pressure. He likes to hold on to the ball. And sometimes he'll just take really bad sacks. And I think I'd want to see Eric Bieniemy at least be the interim coach of that team. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't hurt you to have him be the interim coach of that team. I think this team has just quit listening to Ron Rivera. And I think it's – I think – They've been able to play pretty well despite their defense being awful. The Washington's offense has looked okay. I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that they're starting to kind of tune everyone out. And the way to fix that is to get right around Rivera and see if Eric Bieniemy can actually do this thing. Instead, they're just letting him stick around for some reason. I mean, would well, you, I would you, have, he's Would you agree? Ron Rivera is probably about to get fired in like a week or two. I don't know what. I don't know why they're keeping him around. It just makes no sense. I agree and. I, I've been advocating for his firing for over the past year since last last year's uh, week 16, I believe, um, after he screwed the team out of a playoff opportunity. And I would have I would have rather seen Frank Wright keep his job and Ron Rivera and Brandon Staley get fired by now. Seriously. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Brandon Staley one, it's just every game the Chargers play is the same. They're down by three with around a minute and a half, two minutes left, maybe a timeout or two, and they usually lose the game. And this is not even mentioning Kevin Stefanski, who I think has a horrible rapport with Deshaun Watson and who's not a good coach. Um, and I don't think that the, the the coaching of the defense is is because of him. I think it's because of um, the defensive coordinator who who was the coach of the Detroit Lions many years ago. Jim, um, Schwartz. Jim Schwartz, yes. Um, Stefanski, I think, should have been fired for five, in, in October when he was putting throwing Deshaun Watson under the bus, who may have been the reason why Deshaun Watson his he, he got he suffered his injury instead of the team listening to him. Nope, they wanted to push him out there. Coaches like that they shouldn't even have a place in the NFL. A coach like Brandon Staley who can't turn a team around, who was supposed to be this this genius, not happening. It's not clicking. Ron Rivera, who's been given too many opportunities and has never succeeded, shouldn't have a job either. Excuse me. Frank Wright, who's these were growing pains for that team. I think he was the best guy, at least for right now, to handle Bryce Young, because early what was it just a few weeks ago they fired their offensive their offensive coordinator, right? Or at least they he took the duties away from the offensive coordinator yeah. to do the play calling. It, clearly, I, I and one of the things that I think is important in this situation is that just because uh, just because Frank Wright and his coaching staff wanted. CJ Stroud and they got Bryce Young does not mean I think they're actively sabotaging Bryce Young. I just think Bryce Young has limitations that maybe a CJ Stroud doesn't. CJ Stroud can make the throw into tight coverage that I don't think Bryce Young necessarily can because CJ Stroud has a better arm. He's just a little bit better of a prospect. Bryce Young has a lot of the intangibles you want, but some of his issues are that he doesn't have great physical talent. And when you're building around a guy who doesn't have great physical talent, you need more offensive talent to compensate for his lack of physical tools. And with the Panthers, they just don't have a ton of offensive weapons. That This was going to be a rough year. 
when your best receiver is a 32-year-old receiver in Adam Thielen, who's played great this season. That's Absolutely. rough. It, it's rough. And if you look at the Panthers, they don't have picks. They don't have a ton of talent. Their best move was to, in the offseason, trade some of their defensive players, get picks back, put those into the offense, and I think we would have seen Bryce Young take a step forward. Instead, they got impatient, and I don't even know who, who you hired to take that job or who'd want to take that job. I mean, I guess if you're a young coach and you're looking for a payday, because if it doesn't work, hey, they're paying me a lot of money to make me go away, fine. But that means you're overpaying a coach who maybe hasn't done it before, and you're putting Bryce Young in a tougher situation. He had an experienced coach, uh, an experienced coaching staff. Let them do their thing in the offseason. Let them get some players. And then you make a judgment about Frank Reich. But instead, it took 11 games for them to say, okay, well, he hasn't made Bryce Young into a great quarterback. Let's just get rid of him. Like, that just makes no sense to me. Yeah, I don't understand that either. So we're going to get into uh, some of Week 11's games. So la- last week was Week 12. This is. Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go back to week eleven and just go over a few games briefly. Then we'll get to week twelve. And week Sounds eleven, good. our first game we're gonna start out with was the Monday night football game: the Chiefs versus the Eagles. Eagles win that game twenty-one. Uh, I believe it was twenty-one to seventeen. Uh, the Chiefs dominated the first half. Eagles come back in the second half. Chiefs offense really struggles. Marquez Valdez Scantling drops a touchdown late in the game that would have given the Chiefs the lead. To me, this game was about the Chiefs not surrounding Patrick Mahomes with enough weapons. They decided they didn't need another receiver. They had opportunities that maybe a guy like OBJ, maybe a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, maybe they could have signed someone like Adam Thielen. They choose not to. They choose to believe in their young guys and the guys that were already on the team, and it bit them in this game. And it's probably the biggest thing that would probably prevent them from repeating as Super Bowl champions is the fact they don't have enough weapons. See, I wrote an article on FinFilm Sports saying that the Chiefs were exposed because I had been talking about this since week one. They couldn't catch the ball, and they had no offense. And you kept being combated with me saying, um, if they do this, if they do that, regardless, regardless of the fact, I think they were exposed look- because of horrible management, literally management, but, but in the front office. Say, I would also say, though, just to get in real quick, I continuously said they need to add one more receiver. I kept saying they need to add one more receiver, that if they just added one, one competent receiver, they'd be fine. And what they did was not do that, and they doubled down on their young guys, and now some of them are hurt, and some of them are just straight up unproductive. This is and what I if wrote. You, if, if, you look, if you look at what the Chiefs need, it's not like they need a star receiver. People are acting like, oh, the Chiefs don't need to trade for Mike Evans to do this or do that. They don't need someone like that. They just need... Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. 
a reliable pass catcher to go in tandem with Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. They needed somebody who's a veteran who's played in tight situations that can move the chains on third down. They don't really have that guy, and it came back to kind of bite him against the Eagles. Controversially, the receiving core of the Chiefs has been consistently underwhelming throughout the year, a situation that is, has that is expo- exponentially impeded the potency of their offense. The absence of a top-tier receiver has been glaring. Tyree Kill is somewhere laughing his ass off towards the Chiefs for putting on a lackluster performance against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's just being kind. It's finally bit the Chiefs in the ass. That's what I wrote. That's what I've said about four weeks ago. And they got they got away with it last year. I already mentioned this several weeks back. They didn't get away with it last this year. This time. Like, Juju. See, I, I, I think differently. I don't care if they won the Super Bowl or not. They got away with it because those receivers aren't as elite. As Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is the best receiver in football since he's been in the league, since he's became a wide receiver, in my opinion. AJ Brown is probably number two over the over this this year itself. But between them not wanting to pay Tyreek Hill, on top of that, Brett Veach to going to your point is something we've mentioned earlier earlier this year. Brett Veach should be looked at thoroughly of why he didn't add any wide receiver to to the receiving core of the Kansas City Chiefs. If you had Deshaun Watt, uh, uh huh. I was going to say, if you if you look at the main problem for the receiving core, the reason it's not working this year and it worked last year was that who did you have as your top two weapons? You had Travis Kelsey and Juju. What did they do well? They were guys that could get open and could catch the ball in traffic. And if you look at Juju, on third down, he was a big-time target. I, I, I recommend people go back and watch the Super Bowl versus the Eagles. Late in that game, really the last few drives the Chiefs had, they went to Juju consistently. Why? Because he's big. And he can move the change. You can throw the ball to him. Pat had enough trust to him to throw contested balls to him and for him to catch and run and be able to power through and get first downs. That's the only thing the Chiefs are missing. And the reason I wanted them to add another receiver was because you needed somebody who could be a third down threat. Travis Kelsey is a guy who they'll throw the ball to on third down. Rasheed Rice is really young, and he's a really good, talented receiver who I think could be a really, really solid option for the Chiefs in the future. He's a young receiver, though. And a lot of times those guys aren't as crafty as some veterans to get open on third down. Because sometimes on third down, you just got to get open. And having a veteran receiver is good for that. If this team had someone like Adam Thielen who could just be a third down reliable threat, they'd be fine. Would the offense maybe be the best in the league? I don't think so. But would it be top five, top eight? Easily. They needed one more receiver, and they refused to admit some of their mistakes with their younger receivers. And if they don't win the Super Bowl, it's going to be because they didn't want to admit that mistake. I think it's because of Brett Beach. Well, and I think that's I think that's partially why. I think he's done a great job in terms of rebuilding defense, but him ignoring and taking the long or the the wrong lessons from what the receiving core was last year, I just think was a massive mistake. That yeah, you did it with Juju and MVS last year, and you thought, oh, well, we still have MVS, we can just find somebody else. Juju's role was super essential because he moved the chains. You had two chain movers in Travis Kelsey and Juju. And on this team, I don't really think you have a chain mover other than Travis Kelsey and maybe Rasheed Rice becomes that player, but you're putting a lot on the plate of a rookie receiver. Well, in this game, the, the criticisms have to have to hit Travis Kelsey as well because you fumble the ball in the red zone. The Chiefs turn the ball over twice in the red zone, once in the end zone, once in the red zone. That's not good. You can't win a game. You can't win games like that. Well, um, it, Travis it, Kelsey also had a bad drop pass, even though the next play he did catch the ball and advance the chains. But that doesn't matter. This whole year has been a weird year for Travis Kelsey, and he's already talking about retirement. If he's checked out, why are you playing on, on the Chiefs? 
That doesn't make any sense. Well, you're doing it's a detriment to, to the Chiefs' success. Just to get to that point, I think the Chiefs made a mistake banking on Travis Kelsey being. I mean, Travis Kelsey on for the season is on pace for what 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns, or maybe just under 1,200 yards. And he's, he's still great. The problem is the Chiefs banked on the 34 year old tight end being a 1,300 yard uh, tight end with 10 touchdowns, just a little bit of a dip in production, and they didn't really have anybody else who could make up for it. Now, you have Rasheed Rice, who's emerged as probably their best receiver, but outside Rasheed Rice, who do you think the next best receiving threat is on the Chiefs? There is none. It's Chelsea Rasheed Rice, and then who? Is it Justin? Is it Sky Moore? That, that's the issue. If they had one more guy, we wouldn't even be talking about this as a problem. Well, I mean, I think that there are, I mentioned a few weeks ago, the Chiefs receivers are also suffering from the sophomore blues. It's just not working out. They're, they're in a slump. And Travis Kelsey's in a slump whether it's because of the distraction because of Taylor Swift or because of his retirement or his mental state, I don't know. But I, he still I, plays hard, but he's definitely checked out in the way I, he plays. I don't I don't even think it's that. I just think Travis Kelsey's injured and he's regressed a little bit because he's 34 years old. Like he just I think it's just a little bit. If you look at his numbers, he's still really good, but I think some of the injuries and just a little bit of age has hit him a little bit and they didn't have enough to make up or Looks like they may not have enough to make up for it. I think Rasheed Rice is really good. I think he's probably better than Juju was last year in terms of his ability to catch and run and his explosiveness. The The thin line, though, comes down between Juju being a veteran receiver who can get open on a third down and Rasheed Rice still learning how to do that in the NFL. The Chiefs not adding someone that could do that, just it's been their biggest issue is that on third and six, do you trust someone to get seven yards? With Juju, you trusted him to get seven yards. He may not well, get this is the thing. This he is it's, it's also like, it's yeah, what are you saying? It's also not solely on the receiver, it's not solely off of the play calling from Andy Reid. If Travis Kelsey's getting triple if he's getting covered by three guys, and you got Justin Watson who's getting eleven targets in this game, and then you got somebody like Rashid Rice who is being covered by one guy and still can't catch a ball. What does what is that saying about Rashid Rice? Well, I mean I just don't think they use Rasheed Rice enough in this game. I, this even so, Jess, if, if, is, if the defender that they're putting on there, who's not even that great because the defenders that they're going to put on you on the best guy is going to be Travis Kelsey, and you still can't get open to catch a ball, aren't we overhyping the fact that Rasheed Rice can do more than he's supposed to do, than he no, actually can do? Because that's, a, that's a fair statement. Not to, jump, not to jump ahead too much, but if you looked at this week's Chiefs Raiders game, what happened? They gave Rasheed Rice, what, eight or nine, tar- nine, ten targets? Chiefs Raiders. He was, Chief super Raiders just... he was super effective. It's about who you're giving the targets to. Justin Watson shouldn't be getting 10, tar- 10, 11 targets. He should be getting, I think, four or five targets. Rasheed Rice is the guy who should be getting six, seven, eight, nine, ten targets. Part of the issue is the Chiefs don't like using, and when I say the Chiefs, Andy Reid isn't someone who likes typically using young receivers because they're not always in the right spot. And on play, when they run option routes, especially on third downs, sometimes they don't run the right option route. It's why I think it goes back to the Chiefs not adding a third down option. Someone like an Adam Thielen, someone like a DeAndre Hopkins, who can get open on third downs. You're putting a lot on Rasheed Rice because you're you're basically asking him to be a veteran receiver when he was a, playing SMU last year. And that's not a shot at SMU, but he's playing college football in the AAC, and now you're putting him in the NFL. And he's having to learn a lot really quickly. And I think he's getting better, but they have two legit receiving threats. You need a third, and they don't really have one right now. 
Well, we're gonna have to go. We're we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this every week. Um, what? Well, and the Eagles are not. The, the Eagles aren't even that that much better. They're not even better than the Chiefs, in my opinion. Uh, now, just to finish up with the Chiefs and the Eagles. I think you. I think people took the wrong. I, I think people had the wrong takeaway from this game. Is oh, look at Jalen Hurts. Look at the Eagles. Oh, they came back. I I, I wouldn't even look at it like that. I think the issue in this game. And what's going to be the issue for the Eagles down the stretch is that they can get beat up up front and their O-line, which everyone loves, and they're great at running the tush-push. They got pushed around by the Chiefs. And, yeah, they bounced back in the second half, but I think a lot of that was because the Chiefs just kept turning the ball over and I think the defense got a little bit tired. If oh, I was, the, Chiefs, the Chiefs gave this game away to the Eagles six times. If, when, if you, I, when the receivers aren't catching the ball and you got MVS who, who's had six drop passes, that's, and especially the, the last one that was – even though I still claim that he, that game then or in that position he didn't cost us the game, the other receivers cost us the game, and Patrick Mahomes throwing an interception in, in the end zone cost us the game. Then you got the fact that Travis Kelsey cost us the game. The the spotlight being on MVS dropping the ball isn't the entire story. It's what I said is the entire story. Besides the the, the fact that the receiver the receivers can't catch a ball in the most crucial situations of the game. My main takeaway from this Chiefs-Eagles game is that the Eagles have issues a little bit with their offensive line. Their defense is not particularly good. They got two They got two turnovers, but, I mean, I feel like that was more of the Chiefs. Just, that was them and their lack of ball security more than I thought the Eagles' defense being good. The main takeaway from this game should be that the Chiefs could win the Super Bowl, but they can't turn the ball over, and they have to have receivers catch the ball. That is, for as bad as we think some of the receiving options on the Chiefs are, if they don't turn the ball over, and their offense doesn't make the tiny mistakes and have penalties, the Chiefs can win the Super Bowl. It's going to come down to them being able in one of these games to have a drive to put the game away. Because there is, what, two or three drives in this game where if the Chiefs score a touchdown or just score any points, they might have been able to put the game away. But they make mistakes, well, and they're not able to do that. Well, I think I, even people, people, what people didn't talk about is the, the fact that the Chiefs stopped the tush push in one of the drives that they were at the goal line, that the Eagles were at the, the one-yard line, and the Chiefs stopped the tush push, I think, on three consecutive tries, if I'm not mistaken. But nobody I, has talked about that. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to go back and look. But I, I think what the Chiefs showed is that their defense is legit and they can hold up against a team like the Eagles. I, if, I were, if I were to go back to the Eagles, I, just my one takeaway from them is that I know they've been good this year, but they they look a little bit to me a little bit like what the Vikings did last year, where they're they're in these close games, they're coming back. We'll get to it a little bit when we talk about Eagles and Eagles and Bills, but they just they they to me feel like they're primed to just get blown out in one of these games, and you just got to hope it doesn't come in the playoffs. I just there's something off still about the Eagles. I said this since week one, Jess. It's not me trying to have sour grapes or whatever. Or, oh no, it's I don't even think it's anything like that. They just to me feel like they're going to lose a game they shouldn't lose. That they might be fifteen and two, sixteen and one going to the playoffs, and it just feels like they're going to lose a game they shouldn't because their effort's not there in the first half of a game. A lot like what happened with the uh, against the Chiefs is that if you were playing against an offense that was just five percent better, they would have got blown out in that game. Is uh, do you think that's fair assessment or not? Yes. I do. We're going to move on to the Bears and Lions. I thought this was a pretty interesting game. The Bears had the lead basically the entire game. They got conservative towards the end. Lions come back and win. With four minutes like, left. They were down 14 points. And the Bears had every chance to win this game. 
they had the ball in Lions territory. They decided to kick a field goal instead of go for it. This, this feels like an indictment. This game was an indictment of the Bears coaching staff is that you had Fields who was playing really well. You had a chance to put the game away. You didn't. And then the better team comes back. They drive down. They get points and they win the game. Well, I think the better team won. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Bears let the better team hang around and the better team came down and won the game at the end. And in this game, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Jared Goff threw three, inter- <clears throat> excuse me, he threw three interceptions, but he still had two touchdowns. But his ability to come back and stay focused with four minutes left being down 14 points to come back and win this game shows that what I've been saying all year, the man is a top five quarterback this year. The hate that this guy gets so much is uncalled for. Um, it's honestly unwarranted because the way he's played, yeah, you know he's going to throw a pick, but I think he's a, he's a lot better quarterback than Josh Allen. But Josh Allen gets all the praise because he's a gunslinger. But then he gets a pass. Well, But this guy, he doesn't get a pass, and I think that's unfair. My issue is that we've seen Josh Allen multiple times late games not be able to get things done. And then you see someone like Jared Goff who – has been in these situations, and more often than not, he's come through for them. Uh, absolutely. He's been the best team, The best thing that happened to this team since early Matthew Stafford. But Matthew Stafford got – if Matthew Stafford had the head coach, excuse me, that they have now, opposed to a head coach like Matt Patricia or um, who's the defensive coordinator for the for the Browns again? Jim Schwartz? Jim Schwartz. Who I did think did a bad, a bad job initially, but it ended up being bad just because – whatever um i think that jared goff is in the perfect situation and if matthew stafford would have had that we'd be talking about matthew stafford being a three-time super bowl winner just because he's a lot more talented than jared goff yeah i just think with jared goff you got to cut down on some of the turnovers i think that's been his last or the last couple weeks that's been his biggest issue i think is the turnovers can't have it has been you're right this episode is made possible by pwc When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Yeah, you you can't have those, but... Overall, I think Jared Goff has been good this year. He's had a two or three week stretch where he's been kind of rough with the turnovers, but I think you can cut those down and get rid of some of those. I think he'll be fine. He'll he'll be perfectly fine. Now, is this an indictment on the head coach? You, you said this is an indictment on on the coaching staff, but is does Justin Fields get any any flack for his performance in this game or or not coming away with the W in this game? So I think Justin Fields did a pretty good job. I just think. What we see with the Bears is that they're just not aggressive offensively. Like they have DJ Moore, they have talent. They're just not aggressive offensively at times. They just they like throwing a lot of screen passes. I don't really understand it. Justin Fields has a big arm. He is a big arm quarterback. He's not he's not Patrick Mahomes in the way he's just going to pick a defense apart underneath. He has a big arm and he's an over the top play action quarterback. Why are you not throwing the ball deep? Why are you letting him throw screens every time? I, I just don't understand their offensive philosophy. It's frustrating to watch. And while Fields hasn't always played his best this season, I think he's been rough at times. I think some of it's been coaching just because there's only so much you can do when you're throwing passes at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. And I just, I think that's tough for a young quarterback. 
Jess, how, did, how does here, here we were talking about Frank Wright losing his job, but yet Ron Rivera, Brandon Staley, and Matt Eberflus still having their jobs? How is that possible? Poor ownership on three teams. Is that yeah. is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I, I, poor ownership, bad leadership. Like it, it's pretty obvious. And what, what's the commonality between them? They're three bad defensive coaches: Ron Rivera, Brandon Staley, and Matt Eberflus. They're three bad defensive coaches who have bad offense. Who I mean, other than maybe Washington. Because I think Washington has offensive talent and they've shown offensive ability, but the other, you have Brandon Staley with Justin Herbert, offense can't get anything done. You have Matt Eberflus with Justin Fields and DJ Moore, struggles and they're throwing behind line of scrimmage and acting like they're, they're trying to make Justin Fields be something he's not. He's not a he's not Tom Brady. He's not Peyton Manning. He's not a Patrick Mahomes. He's not a pick you part at the line of scrimmage, throw underneath, find the right guy to throw to. That's not what he is. He might turn into that but he's still a young quarterback and you're i think you're ruining his confidence and you're ruining you're ruining him you just let justin fields throw the ball down the field he has a great deep ball he's super athletic he's got a good arm let him throw the ball down the field they did you're it early for- in the game and they were able to get a lead they didn't do it late and when they had opportunities to put the game away and be aggressive offensively they kicked field goals you bring up the fact that all these coaches that i just mentioned are defensive coordinators our, our defensive-minded head coaches, right? Well, look at something that you just said. They have a a, a very high-powered – they could have a high-powered offense, um, whether or not they close games in, in, for Washington or the Chargers, that's an issue. But they have Keenan Allen uh, – no, um, oh, my God. Um, who's the offensive coordinator for, who came for the Cowboys um, for the Chargers? Kellamore. I'm sorry, I going to say Keenan Allen. Kellamore. Then you have – Eric Bandy for Washington. Thank you. Would you – Consider going forward in this league, period, as an owner. Consider hiring a defensive-minded coach. I mean, if 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 I have a team that doesn't have a quarterback or has a veteran quarterback, hiring a defensive coach is fine. If you have a good established quarterback and you want to hire a defensive coach, fine. But if you have a young quarterback, hiring a defensive coach is just a bad thing. If you don't hit on that coach, unless you hire a D'Amico Ryan, you're not going to do anything. Unless you hire Mike Tomlin, you're kind of fucked if you hire a defensive coach with a young quarterback. Well, because, okay, so we, we we mentioned three coaches. You said all three of them are defensive-minded coaches. What about Sean McDermott? I think Sean McDermott doesn't get the criticism he deserves. Well, This yeah, also just, goes to the fact that he should have been fired three weeks ago. Just to kind of get into it, look at the look at the last few Super Bowls. It's been the Chiefs and Eagles, so that's Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni. The year before, it was Zach Taylor and uh, Sean, Sean McVay. And the year before that, it was Andy Reid and um, Bruce Arians. And, and even go back a year before that, it was the Chiefs and 49ers. Then Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. What are, what's Excellent. the conflict between those guys? They're Excellent all point. You need an offensive coach if you're going to win in the, in the NFL in, in the common era. Like, th- this, isn't, this isn't the early 2000s. It's not even the 2010s. You need an offensive coach if you're going to win consistently. You need a quarterback and a coach. And more often than not, that coach is probably going to be an offensive caliber coach. What about if the enemy? I know I know I'm getting off track, but what happens if Sean McDermott is fired? What about the enemy going there instead of staying in Washington? I don't think that would be a bad option. I think it would help Josh Allen a little bit with the short game because at times you, it feels like you need a coach who's going to reel him in. And I think that was kind of Eric Bieniemy's role with Patrick Mahomes is kind of reeling back in. Well, doesn't that do what you've been saying all year? That ever since um, the Giants head coach left Brian Dayball, he's been different. He's been a lot more careless with the ball. 
he, he's looked more like he did his first couple of years than he did in 2020 and 2021. So that would actually be a good fit. I think it did put him in check and for the head coach who's offensive minded in Eric Bieniemy to take the realms and say, listen, this is, I think he'd, he'd have a better game plan than Sean McDermott does. Yeah. I just, I think if you look at the bills, they just need to reset at this point from a roster perspective, they need to get younger. They need to get more talented. And from a coaching perspective, you need to get somebody who in these situations, like games is going to be more aggressive that it feel prime example. The bills had an opportunity with 20 seconds at a timeout. They could have had two timeouts if they don't waste one trying to ice somebody on a 58-yard field goal, which I, I understand the thinking behind it, but it's a 58-yard field goal. You just got to let them kick it. Like you, you just have to live with the result. You had 20 seconds in a timeout. You have someone who you think is a top quarterback in the NFL. Why are you not trying to throw the ball down the field and get in field goal range? Why are you going to overtime? Just never made any sense to me. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry, Jess. I didn't mean to get um, off well, track. No, I apologize. For our next game, we're going, in, we're going to go into our next game, which is the Chargers uh, going to Green Bay to play the Packers. The Packers won a close game. And they went 23 to 20. Justin Herbert has a throw late drop, drop by Quentin Johnston that would have put them in field goal range and maybe had to change the score a touchdown late in that game. But uh, Jordan Love played one of his better games. He went 27 to 40, 322 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I think what we saw in this game was the difference in coaching. I, I just, I don't, I don't even think Matt LaFleur is the greatest coach in the world, but I think he's a good, he's a good coach. I agree. He outcoached Brandon Staley, which I mean, it's not overly hard to do, but he outcoached Brandon Staley. And you had Jordan Love and Justin Herbert both play pretty well. But the difference in the game was that I think the Packers are better coached than the Chargers. Do you see Kellen Moore taking over the head coaching job of this team for the Chargers? It's interesting because their offense has kind of had moments where they've been good and they've kind of been bad. I'd want to see what Kellen Moore looked like as a head coach. I kind of just think they need to. It just feels like the Chargers just need to clear how just clear everything out, clean house, and get ready to rebuild this roster. Because if you look at their roster, they have a lot of older players, both on offense well, and defense. But on offense, they have performed. Yeah, defense. They've, they've been pretty good offensively. I, I think if it were Khalil me, Mack has not, to me, been worth the money that they paid him. Same thing with Bosa, with Joy Bosa. I, I don't see the payoff for either one of those players being worth what they paid those guys because the returns haven't haven't been shown over the past two years. Yeah, I mean, if it were me, I would just – I think what I would do is I would – I'd fire Brandon Staley because I just think he's not that good of a coach. I would fire him. He probably should have been fired after they gave the big lead to – Minnesota. Or oh, they won that Minnesota. No, no, Sorry. I mean – Jacksonville game and the playoffs last year, they blew a twenty-seven nothing lead. Um, yeah, but I, I think, I think, yeah, I would fire Brandon Staley. I'd give Kelly Moore a chance to show me that he could be an NFL head coach. And I think five or six games is enough to show you. I don't think it takes thirty games to see if a coach has it or not. I think you can tell pretty early if a coach might have it or not. And uh, when when it comes to the Chargers, I would just give Kelly Moore a shot and move off Brandon Staley because Brandon Staley's thing is supposed to be defense and for the large portion of his time there their defense has been downright awful horrendous with i know we're not into week 12 but this is the only are, are we going to talk about the the chargers in week 12 or no yeah we're going to talk about the ravens and chargers in week 12 okay well i'll wait to i'll wait to bring that up until I. so speaking of the ravens we're going to talk about the Bengals and ravens from week 11 this is a game where i think the two big takeaways are joe burrow getting hurt out for the season mark andrews getting hurt out for the season um, I don't really think there was much you could take away from that game because as soon as 
Burrow gets hurt. The Bengals had no chance to win the game. The Ravens win fairly easily. I just think those two injuries are massive, especially because it's Lamar Jackson's best, most reliable weapon. And then it's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL getting hurt and being out for the year. Huge shame. I'm a huge fan of Joe Burrow. I know people being from Kansas City want to shit all over him, but the guys are an elite quarterback. There's no doubt about that. And then we're going to go finish off week 11 with the Vikings and the Broncos, which this was a game in which the Vikings just, it seemed like they were a couple of plays away. And if you're the Broncos, they, they've they been on a roll where they've had a lot of turnover luck and they forced a lot of turnovers. But I just continue to, I, I just continue to say, I know that Russ is playing well and they're winning games and they might win seven or eight games this year. I just don't think this is a track record for long-term success relying on teams turning ball over three and four times. You're hot. You get turnovers. That's great. I, If I were the Broncos, I'd start to kind of worry a little bit about what winning does when you're going to have a mid-round pick. Because do you pay Jerry Judy now? Do you restructure Cameron Sutton? Do you redo Garrett Bowles' contract? Do you pay some of their guys on defense? They're, they're going to have to make a lot of tough decisions. And I think winning games... Their defense is still pretty young. If you get some guys that can be reliable, at least offensively, you don't have to pay these guys out the ass. The problem is, though, let's say you keep Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, who's a very much like a above-average receiver, would you say an above-average receiver? He's probably going to cost in the range of 20 to $22 million a season. Are you really willing to go there for Jerry Judy? I just they, they have a lot of tough decisions to make, but this was a good win for them. Well, winning this game, it makes it a four-game winning streak that they're on. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you, you we can hate on hating all we want because we do do that sometimes, but they've won the games and they've won the games against top teams in the NFL. Yeah, but to, to me, the question you have to ask yourself is with this core, with this roster you you have constructed. Is this an indictment on the receivers? Or is this an indictment on the coaching or is this an indictment on Russell Wilson himself? No, because that hasn't been made clear yet by your by, by what you're saying. OK, so what I basically what I'm saying is Sean Payton, I think, is doing a nice job with the. With a, with a limited roster, but the lesson I think they're going to take from this is that, oh, well, he's turned this roster around. If we pay all these guys, they're going to take a leap going into year two when I think they're just a limited roster. They need to start kind of letting some of these guys go and overturn it. I think so they're you're saying because all the praises they're getting, he could shoot himself in the foot. Yeah, I'm saying as much as they're winning right now and they're, they're on a roll, I would still evaluate the roster as – I would still evaluate the rosters as a work in progress than as a – complete roster where we're going to pay everyone, we're going to run it back, and the, we're going to make a jump from year one to year two, if you understand what kind of what I'm saying there, is that I, I still would overturn the roster. I wouldn't I let – I wouldn't – I would let Sean Payton, his record as a coach, speak for itself more than I would let the talent on this roster speak for itself, which means I would overturn the roster and hope that Sean Payton could kind of make up for some of the, the, the newness rather than pay a bunch of the dudes already on the roster who couldn't win before he got there. And, yeah, they've won games in a row now, and they're playing well. But I would bake on the fact that Sean Payton can replace those guys rather than we're just going to pay him and run it back again. Well, I think this is going to come down to the fact that Sean Payton's going to want to have to do things his way because everything else that's there that's in place is not because of him. And I think that's a fair assessment. Going into this offseason, not just because of the performances of something that you bring up, which I think is a, is a valid point, but the biggest thing is he's a cocky son of a bitch. And he's going to want to say, I did this and I did this with my guys. Look what I did with these guys. Imagine what I did with my own guys. That's going to be a huge factor going into next year. Now we're going to go into week 12, and we're going to start off with Packers and Lions. This was a Thanksgiving Day game. The Packers upset the Lions. Real quick, Jess. They win this game 29-22. to 22. Real, real quick, Jess, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a game I wanted to talk about. 
uh, two games, just just to go over three games. I'm sorry. The Cardinals game against the Texans. Kyler Murray looked really good in this game. Oh, you're talking about week 11. Yes. This yes. Was, uh, this in, week, in week 11. And the Raiders had an opportunity to, de- to defeat the Dolphins. It didn't happen. But my game of the week for that week that I did watch was between the Seahawks and the Rams. The Rams put out a, a good win versus the Seahawks late. And Matthew Stafford played played decently well. But um, that was my my game to pay attention to regarding the Seahawks, because I'm a huge fan of the Rams, a huge fan of Matthew Stafford. But this this Seahawks loss may have started a downhill spiral that they're not going to that they may not be able to bounce back from. They lost to a division opponent and wait till week 12. They're they're in trouble, I think. And week 13 doesn't look like it's going to get any better. Um, You and I have brought up the fact that offensively, This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Because of Geno Smith or because of Pete Carroll, the play calling hasn't been that crisp. There's a there's a problem going on in Seattle, and something's going to have to be addressed. I just wanted to put that out there. No, no, I, I think I think those are some fair takeaways from Week 11. Going into Week 12, we have the Packers and Lions. Packers upset the Lions 29 to 22 on Thanksgiving. This was a game in which I think the difference comes down to a couple a couple fumbles. Well, a few fumbles from Jared Goff. He had three fumbles and he lost all three of them. I feel like that was the difference in this game. That was a bad game, a bad game. Yeah, I, I just it felt with the it felt like with the Lions, their biggest issue the last few weeks has been Jared Goff turning the ball over, whether it's been interception or fumbles. And this was this is they were able to they were able to turn the ball over and beat the Bears, which was a good win. They showed that they could play through some adversity. This was the type of game where you just can't keep doing this. Like, there's only so many times you can win when you turn the ball over multiple times and three fumbles, it's just, it's not going to happen. Especially it's not against, a recipe for success at all. Yeah. Especially against a Packers team that's playing better now. We're going into our second game of week 12, the chiefs versus the Raiders chiefs win this game 31 to 17. Their offense looked much better. I, I think for me, the main takeaway I had from this game was that they finally gave Rasheed rice, the targets that I was hoping to give him in this game. He had 10 targets, eight catches, 107 yards and a touchdown. This is how the chiefs offense has to go. Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, a sprinkle of Sky Moore, Pacheco a little bit, and maybe a little bit of Noah Gray. Those are the guys who should be the main players touching the ball for the Chiefs. Well, first of all, this game didn't go according to plan for the Chiefs because if you look at the at the scoring, the Raiders were up 14-0 heading late into the third into the second quarter. And you had all of social media complaining about this is the this is the Chiefs of the 90s and the two thousand the two thousands and the two thousand tens. Because they give you heart attack football. They turned around the third quarter and fourth quarter by just stomping on them. But you can't start a game off like this. On top of that, this is probably this is the first time in so many games that the Chiefs were able to score in the second half. But nobody has talked about that. It, this it, isn't a huge win for the Chiefs. To me, the to me, the biggest thing is the Chiefs look like they were they let their frustrations from the Eagles game carry over. They were able to get it rectified. And I think the biggest the biggest thing I take away from this game, 
Well, actually, there's there's two of them. It was Rasheed Rice and him. They're finally committing to getting him targets. It was also the Chiefs have not really ran the ball on third, fourth, in short, and at the goal line. And in this game, Isaiah Pacheco had two rushing touchdowns right on the goal line. And I felt like that was an attitude type thing Andy Reid tried to instill back into the into the team is that hey, let's have a little bit of attitude. Let's run the ball for touchdowns on the goal line. Well, the I don't I don't trust the Chiefs' offense at all. Um, Give me the rest of the, the give me the rest of the season where you do this, heading into the playoffs. Then we can talk. I, I think the the Chiefs' next two games are going to be big tests as to whether they've kind of figured this offense stuff out. They play the Packers on Monday Night Football. We'll get to that game a little bit later. Or I mean, on Sunday Night Football, they play the Packers in Lambeau Field. Then they play the Bills at home, three twenty-five CBS. That's a game in which you can put away the Bills, basically. The Bills who are just hanging on by a thread. You can basically put them away and not have to worry about them in the playoffs if you beat them in that game. We'll 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 talk about that a little bit later, but th- these are these are two games where the Chiefs they have a legit chance to show you their offense has figured things out and that they have made corrections based off what they've seen over the last few weeks. We're gonna go next to one of the one of the games of the week. It was the Eagles and Bills. The Eagles win this game 37 to 34 in overtime. And the main takeaway I had is that <laughs> the, the Bills in these games do not execute when they have to. I keep talking about this. When they get into these tight games late, they do not execute. And that Josh Allen always has one throw where you're just, what the fuck, Josh Allen? And in this game, he had he had an interception. But the throw I'm talking about is late in overtime. He had Gabe Davis wide open, and he throws a duck. Bills have self for a field goal. Eagles come down. They score touchdown and win the game. What were your takeaways from this game? Well, that the Eagles were able to beat a teetering team that's struggling to find their way. And I still say that the biggest problem in Buffalo is Sean McDermott. Um, He's been getting a pass. Josh Allen has not been able to fucking put it away in the sense of putting putting the football into his holster when he needs to. He is a gunslinger, but he has not been, um, how do you call that, just pulled back in or or arraigned. David reeled him back. He doesn't, he doesn't have someone to reel him back in, and it leads to him making a lot of bad decisions. Yes, thank you. Um, it's not good for Josh Allen. I still, I'm telling you, if they don't find the right situation to, to improve this Bills team, Josh Allen is going to leave. I just don't well, think it's going to be a good, a good, suitable situation for him to stay there. I think it's, he could succeed somewhere else, honestly. To that point, Josh Allen is now 0-6 in overtime games. Mm. Our next game, the Ravens and Chargers. This was the Sunday night game. Uh, the main takeaway I kind of had from this is that the Chargers, I mean, they, they stink. We all kind of know they stink. I'm worried about the Ravens offense without Mark Andrews, though, because it, the, the Chargers defense is not good at all. And Lamar Jackson was 18-32, 177 yards, one touchdown, 5.5 yards in attempt. And his leading receiver was Isaiah Likely in this game. Four catches, 40 yards. He's a, He is a... He is their backup tight end to Mark Andrews. This is a game I'd worried about. I'd be worried about if I was a Ravens fan. This is how you're going to lose in the playoffs. You lose Mark Andrews. Your two next best receivers are Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham Jr. They're not overly big, and you can kind of push them around. And that even a even a defense like the Chargers, who have been up and down, mostly down the entire year, push them around. And it took a late play by Zay Flowers though to put the game away fully. But I I just think you look at a team like the Ravens and they they to me as they have a big point differential and everything on paper looks great but when you start looking under the hood there seem to be some problems that I think people are ignoring something that we have said since 
earlier in the season. Um, I'm still. Are, so, are you buying the Ravens right now, or no? No, I don't think. I, I think they maybe get to. I think they maybe get to the AFC Championship game, but I wouldn't pick them against the Chiefs. I mean, I know, I know what, I know what the numbers say. Oh, look at their defense. Look at Lamar Jackson. He's doing this. He's super efficient. I wouldn't trust them to win a playoff game. I, I think the Ravens are primed to get blown out by a team in the playoffs. Okay, so real quick, Jess, you and I have had this discussion. Um, they have been Lamar Jackson's offensive line of Lamar Jackson have not been successful against defenses that have put the pressure on them. In this game alone, out of all year, I've I saw the Chargers step up defensively. They did an excellent job putting pressure on Lamar Jackson. It's that the offense just couldn't capitalize when he's throwing when Herbert's throwing the ball down the field. He missed he missed a, a, a huge touchdown late in the game. I can't remember who the receiver was, but he was not even covered. Yeah, Lamar I've Jackson his ability. They have a problem on that offensive line that nobody has talked about all year, with the exception of you and me. And they, the, the, the Chargers defense stepped up really, really well. Um, I was surprised as hell. Um, but they did an excellent job putting pressure on him. It's just that the offensive could, couldn't capitalize. Justin Herbert was terrible at this game. He was missing guys. He had a bad interception. I, I know people like Justin Herbert. And if you look at his numbers he and his physical tools, he looks like a, an elite franchise level quarterback. But I've been saying this. He doesn't win these type of games. And this was a game in which you got a great defensive effort from Brandon Staley in that unit. And what did you do? You squandered it, and he overall was not very good. They had multiple opportunities to win this game. Honestly, the Chargers probably, if they wouldn't have made the mistakes they made on offense, probably could have won this game by 10 points. But they made mistakes, they did dumb things, and they lost this game. They had every chance, they had every chance to win this game, and they didn't. The Ravens credited them, they won the game, but I think we're seeing that the Ravens have, they're going to have issues without Mark Andrews on offense. Absolutely. Um, Odell Beckham has been doing well on um, slant routes. But other than that, him going one-on-one with a guy has not been successful for him. If they keep doing that, that's the only way that they're going to they're gonna be able to, to, to get the ball down the field or to move the chains is if he's doing that and Zay Flowers is doing what he's doing. Well, and my, my issue just Who is the third option? My issue keeps going back to, to the point that they're not overly big receivers, that if you get a team that's going to play physical – and get physical and play them physical, are they going to be able to move the ball? And I think it's only one game, but some of the early returns would lead me to believe it's not going to be good for them. Who's the who's the 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 Ravens' third option now that Mark Andrews is gone? It's probably Nelson Aguilar or Isaiah Likely, maybe. Okay. Aguilar is good. Whether or not that they put him in that offense to – and real quick, I will say that their running game is very good for the Ravens. It pisses yeah, but, me off of how good it is. Yeah, th- that's been the story with them, though. Their running game is really good, but when it comes to the playoffs, they can't throw the ball. Because the running back that they have has, mo- week after week, I have watched them just run over defenses nonstop, and they just move the ball down the field. And that's not even saying Lamar, but the running backs that they have, they've been able to, to do that efficiently, more so off- more so offensively, um, receiving-wise, than anything else. We're going to get into our final game. Real, we- real, real quick, Jess. I got one more game I want to go over, if that's okay. cool. The Jacksonville Jaguars defeated the Houston Texans 24-21. Oh, this was actually our last game. Oh, was it? Yes. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, our last game of Week 12 that we're going to talk about is the Jacksonville Jaguars playing the Houston Texans. This was a close game in which the Jaguars pull out a victory, and they win this game 24-21 to over the Texans. Uh, there was a couple controversial calls in this game. The Texans had a big 
they had a big pass call back on seemingly a similar play to what the Dolphins run where they have Tyreek Hill kind of run at the line of scrimmage and they kind of go run back and forth and run at the line of scrimmage and snap the ball. Uh, Tank Dell had a play like that and they called it back when he had a he had a big catch downfield on something similar. Um, a seven yard pass. Yeah. Oh, overall, I felt like the Texans probably win this game if it was next year and they just had a little bit more experience. They probably could have won this game if not for a penalty or two. Uh, Jacksonville, I'd be worried about because I don't. I think Texas are good. I think people are overhyping them as like true actual contenders because I think their roster is so limited. I think their quarterback play is good enough to get there. I don't think the rest of the roster is. The Jaguars struggling this much with the Texans is not a good sign for them as they head into the playoffs. I know it's this, I think you're I being over, overly critical of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, this, I, 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 once again, I know, I know it sounds like me being overcritical, and you know I like Trevor Lawrence. I'm a big Trevor Lawrence guy. I just I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen the game where Trevor Lawrence said, I'm going to throw two or three touchdowns, take the game over, and we're going to put away a team. He did good in his game. Yeah, he was fine. He was 23-38, 364 yards, 9.6 yards in his hip, one touchdown, one interception. Well, I mean, but the the biggest issue is, you, you, you I mean, you made a fair point. Maybe next year they, they'd be better, but they're not going to have the money to go on both sides of the football. If you look at it, the defensive line couldn't get to, to, to Trevor Lawrence from, from Houston. They need work on that. On top of that, Josh Allen on defense for the Jacksonville Jaguars was killing C.J. Stroud with two and a half sacks. He put so much pressure on him. This is the only game you've seen this season where the defense has really gotten to C.J. Stroud. And he was actually in um, a, a whirlwind of trying to get out of the pocket. The man can throw the ball. He can launch the ball. He's an excellent quarterback. He, he he's, he's arguably the number one person in the MVP race. But the, the, the Jaguars did a very good job. They, they put together a two-game two winning streak after losing to the 49ers when they got obliterated. I mean, destroyed. And, and um, to, your point, to your point, this was the game in which C.J. Stroud, he had the most rushing attempts he's had all year. Most rushing attempts and rushing yards all season. Well, and from what, I, from, from what I've heard from all the um, talking heads, he wasn't a running quarterback in college. No, and I didn't know that. that. Yeah, that's true. Not, he's not a running quarterback. Um, so that was actually pretty surprising to me that – he was running more so than he does, but but that's because he doesn't have an offensive line to protect him. Um, and Josh Allen from Jacksonville was just kicking his ass every down. He was putting more pressure on a C.J. Stroud than C.J. Stroud had, has had on him all year. That goes to credit for Jacksonville. So when I say you're being overly critical, I don't think that you're giving enough credit to the, the parts that Jacksonville succeeded in into getting this win. The Jags have a big game coming up in, two, in three weeks. December 17th, Sunday Night Football, Ravens and Jaguars in Jacksonville. To me, that's a game that's going to tell us where the Jags really are. Are they closer to the Ravens or are they closer to the Texans? And well, Domingo Ryan's also made a horrible play call, I think. But it also says something that I've been saying all year, Josh, Jess, is that the Houston Texans and C.J. Stroud, at least C.J. Stroud, he seems to thrive being losing late into games, but coming out with the win, right? He's done yeah. that in most of his games this year. Mm-hmm. But D'Amico Ryan decides to go for a kick that I believe Matt, Matt, Matt Amendola is their kicker, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Um, and he misses the kick. It hits the upright or it hits the, the bottom of the upright, and they would have tied the game. I was surprised by this play call because the way you've been playing, you've been putting the ball in C.J. Stroud's hand latent to every game. Every game. And most of the time they'd come away with it. I was shocked. 
after after watching these highlights and, and watching the breakdowns of the game, that that's what he did. That's what he decided to do instead of putting the ball in his hands. I'm not sure why he made that play call when you've been doing the opposite all year. Um, I think that that actually hurt the team. It actually hurt the team to it doesn't it doesn't put confidence in your team after you've already put confidence in them all year. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, that may to me this game came down to Jacksonville got backed up. I mean, not Jacksonville. Jacksonville backed up Houston. Houston had second and 19. They throw a pass to Nico Collins for seven yards, have an incompletion on the next play, and then they kick a they kicked a 58-yard field goal to hit the pole. To me, I think the Texans probably should have ran the ball on on a third and 12. I mean, I yes. know it sounds counterintuitive taking it out of C.J. Stroud's hands, but to me, that's a play where you at least got to get six or seven yards, and the Jaguars are fully playing the pass on that play. Get the six or seven yards, run out the field goal team, and try to get a 52 or 53-yard field goal as opposed to almost a 60-yard field goal. Well, and, and heading into this game against the Texans, that they had already conceded 25 sacks. I don't know what they do to defend C.J. Stroud anymore than they're already trying to. I mean, I, I don't know what the prep the, the pep talk is to get the to get these offensive linemen to protect better yeah well that's one of the problems with houston is they, they don't really have they have some pieces but they're not a complete team yet they they need an offseason where they upgrade their offensive line immensely yeah well uh, houston heading into the offseason has to address their defensive issues getting after a quarterback and re-strategize your approach heading into the subsequent games. That's that that's going to be a massive issue. Yeah, and I think with Houston, they don't have a first-round pick because they moved up to get Will Anderson, who is their young pass rusher. So you would think next season you hope he takes a step forward. And if you're Houston, you got to spend some money on some veteran pass rushers. You're going to have to do that. Uh, the, the thing is, there are quite a bit, a few veteran fa- uh, pass rushers still available every year. So you add a couple veteran pass rushers to go with, uh, Jonathan Grenard and uh, Will Anderson, and you improve your defensive line a little bit, you improve your offensive line a little bit. Those are the two places I would mainly focus if I were Houston, because if you improve in those two spots, they could be a contender next year. Um, I wrote an article about this game on FinFlam Sports, and I asked people, uh, are they buying or selling? Are they buying the Jacksonville Jaguars or are they selling them? Are they buying the Houston Texans or are they selling them? I think Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars, I buy. I also buy CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. Something about him himself, he just oozes winning intangibles, even in this loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think he came away looking actually pretty good in this loss. But, I mean, you got, I think, I don't know who their kicker is um, for the um, Jacksonville Jaguars, but they just closed, I think, with Brandon McManus, if I'm not mistaken, um, just closed the game. I, I think I'm, I'm sold on both these teams. I'm buying, I'm buying both these teams. Yeah, I... To me, Houston, I think, is much more of a – I think they could win a playoff game this year, but I, I think they're still a couple pieces away. Jacksonville, I just want to see it. I, I want to see Trevor Lawrence have the game where he breaks out and he he has the two or three touchdown game where he just is in full control. I think that's the, that's the one thing I think he's missing on his resume right now. You've been harping on that all year. You're talking about specifically in the regular season. Is that correct? I'm talking about a. It doesn't even have to be the regular season. It could be in the playoffs where he has the game where he just takes command, and we see some of the Clemson Trevor Lawrence where he takes over a game. So, you kind of um, referenced that a few weeks ago regarding that, and you said that he showed shades of that against the Chargers in, last year in the playoffs. I think he was did that, that not enough for you? I think it. I think it's good enough against a team like the Chargers, but when they play a team 
like the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Dolphins. Can, against a team with another good to great quarterback, can you take that next step? That That's my one question. Okay. So, moving on, we're going to get to our best team in the NFC, our best team in the AFC, best team in the NFC. My best team in the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. What is yours? Jesus. Um, I'll go with the Chiefs for now, because I don't know who else is, is honestly... I don't know, Jess. I mean, it's going to have to be the Chiefs just because of default. Well, I don't trust their offense. This is the thing. The Chiefs, while they may not have a trustworthy offense, and they, they certainly have their issues, when you, look at the, when you look at the AFC and you look at the injuries and you look at how the Chiefs match up against some of these other teams, I think it would be a disappointment if they're not at minimum hosting an AFC championship game, playing for a chance to go back to the Super Bowl again. Because if you just look at the AFC, no Joe Burrow in the playoffs. Josh Allen's probably not going to make the playoffs. It's a bunch of inexperienced guys and guys who haven't done it before. Like, at that point, if you're the Chiefs, you have a leg up on everybody. Well, I don't trust the Ravens at all. I but I do trust Ravens the Chiefs. Either. I do trust Patrick Mahomes more so than I trust the entire Ravens team, if that yeah, makes any sense. Assessment. Huh? I think that's a fair assessment. I think what Patrick Mahomes, we've seen, there are games where Patrick Mahomes can just pull something out of his ass and he can – he could will his team to victory. I think we kind of saw a little bit in the AFC Championship game last year is when you don't have any receivers and you need to get the ball in field goal position. Mahomes able to just drag them kicking and screaming down the field. Okay. And, I mean, you're, and you're exactly right. And he's done that. And he showed that. This is why he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And, and when you look at the AFC, it's a lot of teams that are very unproven or have had minimal success in the playoffs. Well, I wouldn't. I would honestly like to see Trevor Lawrence versus Patrick Mahomes one more time in in the playoffs. I would that, honestly like to see CJ Stroud versus Patrick Mahomes. I think that would be an amazing game. And with the way the AFC has played out this year, it would not shock me if that's your AFC Championship game this year is a Patrick Mahomes versus Trevor Lawrence or a Patrick Mahomes versus CJ Stroud. Yeah, that 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 that's going to be telling um, because the teams that are in the do you have the teams who are in the hunt? Huh? Do you have the teams who are in the hunt right now? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I can I can pull them up and tell you. Uh, would you like them in the AFC or the NFC? Oh, uh, let's do the AFC first. Okay, AFC. Your here are your wild card. It is Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis. The teams looking, or just outside looking in, Houston, Denver, Buffalo, and I mean, then we're you're talking about Cincinnati, Vegas. Sure. Basically, we're down. To, we're down to probably about nine teams. Nine teams in the AFC, maybe ten if you want to include Buffalo. It's a lot of. It's not a lot of great teams. Well, this is, goes to what I've been saying all year, and I know you probably don't like me saying this, but there's not a clear-cut dominant team, regardless if the fucking Eagles are ten and one. Yeah, I mean, to me, the Eagles are a team that's primed to go fifteen and two, sixteen and one, and lose a game they shouldn't lose, lose in the playoffs. We've seen it all year out of them. Is that they just they're able to win some of these games late, but man, you can only do that so many times. Look what happened to the Vikings last year. It's all great when you're thirteen and four, but then you get down to Daniel Jones and you're fighting and scratching and calling to try to not lose that game, which they did. Yep. Yep. My best in the NFC, I'm going to stick with the Eagles, but they're going to play the 49ers this week. And if 49ers win that game, they will be my best team in the NFC. I will stay with the Eagles because they're, they are nine and one right now or 10 and one right now. But th this is a big game coming up between them and the 49ers. I'm going to go with um, Detroit lions. I still have not lost faith in them. And I think that them losing this way, they're more, a they're more prepared and they have a better foundation of what to look for in teams. Even, even though they've already had three losses on the year, they're eight and three. Um, I still think that the, the, some of the wins by the, the Eagles have not been significant enough to say, yeah, they dominate, they dominated the game. 
they didn't dominate the game against the Chiefs. They didn't dominate the game against the Bills. Yeah, you pull the game out. I think that's still good. That shows you know how to win. But are you given the game? Are you given that W? Because with the Chiefs, I think they were given that W. If you had Josh Allen, who, was a, who could actually fucking pull himself together and not make fucking huge mistakes, the Bills would have won that game. In the words of Skip Bayless, the Philadelphia Eagles defense is gettable. It's torturable. I'm not going to put them number one. I'm going to go with Detroit. I trust Detroit more so than, than the Eagles. It, that'd be my one worry with the Eagles is that in a playoff game, is the team going to be able to run the ball on you and just dominate you with the line of scrimmage? I think that's possible. It, are they going to be able to throw the ball all over your defense? I think that's possible. I have um, two things to say. Um, so we both did our top AFC and top NFC. I would like to say that the team that I think is on a downward spiral um, heading into to week 13 is the Seattle Seahawks. I'm extremely worried about them. I don't know what they do to get it together. They've had issues since week one. You, you and I have discussed that. The team on the come up, I would say, and I'm hoping for at least, is the Los Angeles Rams. They had a dominant game this past week. They put together two back-to-back wins. If they put together put together a win coming up this week, they will be 6-6. Six and six. That's got to worry the Seattle Seahawks because if they can't get it together, they may be in trouble. Can you tell me what the... um? The, the in the hunt looks for, or, or in the wild card of the in the hunt looks for in the NFC, just please. Yeah. Okay. So here are your division leaders. You have Philadelphia in the east, Detroit in the north, San Francisco in the west, and at, I believe Atlanta in the south. Your wild cards would be Dallas, Seattle, and Minnesota. The teams looking outside right now, just out of the playoff picture: Green Bay, Los Angeles, the Rams, and the New Orleans Saints. What is the, the the lowest team winning record for in the hunt? I mean, well, here are the other teams. You have you have Tampa at four and seven, the Giants at four and eight, Chicago at four and eight, Washington at four and eight. I know that none of those teams are really good, but I don't. I I'm like you, or maybe maybe you trust them more than I do, but I wouldn't trust Minnesota or Seattle to get to nine wins. Well, the way it's looking for Seattle, I don't see them. I, I see the Rams overtaking them. The way the Rams have played over the past two weeks, they've played very, very well. Even though because people are going to shit on on the, the Rams' win versus the Cardinals, that's still a division opponent. And you know how divisional games go. Because if they I were to lose that game, well, it's a divisional opponent, it's always tough. But you don't, you're not going to give them the credit for winning a game against a divisional opponent. Not you, but somebody else. That's unfair. I they did what they're supposed to do. I would say right now, if you're in the NFC, if you can get to nine wins, you're probably going to make the playoffs. And the question is, which of those teams that are four and eight, five and six, six and six, six and five are going to be able to get to nine to ten wins? And so I have the the Seattle Seahawks, who I'm worried about. My team that I said to watch out for before our uh, two-week hiatus was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Baker Mayfield had a opportunity to overtake the past two weeks. He didn't do that. I'm not sure what's going on. However, Mike Evans is only 150 yards from reaching another, th- um, reaching a thousand yards for the 10th straight season. The Colts, who they lost to 27 to 20, are a team that I would watch out for as well. Besides the Rams, those two teams, who I think are both six, uh, who the uh, the Rams are five and six, the Colts are six and six right now, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, I'll look it up right now. Colts uh, are six and six and five. They're a team to watch out for. I don't know what's going to happen between them and the Texans. Um, but that's going to be interesting because those two teams, if they can get get it together, even with the with the um, 
with them missing Jonathan Taylor, I think the Colts are still a good team with Gardner Minshew at quarterback. He he he's a good quarterback. He's the best backup quarterback in the league right now, and he's playing a lot better than most of the, most of the, a lot of the starters in the NFL right now because he's been able to put together six wins. So, who is your worst in the AFC? My worst in the AFC is the Patriots. Oh, that's same for me. They stink. Matt Jones was benched again. I read. How they still gave him an opportunity to come in and play? I don't understand that. Um, that whole you talk about revamping these organizations like the Bills or the Chargers. That organization needs a revamp. They have no identity. Something that you talk about all the time and you harp on every fucking week, every year. This team doesn't have an identity. The identity of this team is a loser. They have no winning fundamentals at all. Who's your worst? My worst in the AFC is the Patriots. My worst in the NFC is the Panthers. They just, you fire your coach after, what, 11 games. They, that team's a complete mess. Their ownership seems to be meddlesome. That, right now, I don't, I wouldn't want to be a part of that organization at all. I, I I still think you're harping on the on the um, Panthers too much. Um, I want to say the Giants. They've won like two in a row, though. But they won two in a row, so I'm gonna have to go with the Panthers too. Okay, next we're gonna get into our week our th- uh, week thirteen preview. We're gonna start with Thursday night football. The Seattle Seahawks go to Dallas to play the Cowboys. Dallas is a nine point favorite in this game. I think it's being too. I think depending on what kind of Seattle you get. That can be too, um, what's the term, Jess? Too big of a spread? Yes. Um, just because you don't know what Seattle you're going to get. Well, yeah. I, I mean, if, if Seattle I, plays I well in this game, they could win. But I could also see them getting absolutely torched by Dallas. Well, I mean, seriously. And the bad thing is, okay, well, I mean, what Dak are you going to get? What Geno Smith are you going to get? Because eventually these two streaks are going to come to an end. You would hope. I mean, you would think, I'm sorry, you would think, you would hope for Geno Smith and Seattle to get a get together, and you would think that all this praise that Dak Prescott's getting eventually is going to come, it's going to come to a strong halt. That has me worried. The other thing that I am also worried about regarding the Cowboys is they have won 13 straight home games since last year. That streak is on the line. That streak is eventually going to come to an end. When? I don't know. But that depends on what kind of Seattle Seahawks team you're going to get. I honestly don't know, Jess. I want the Seahawks to win, but... I'm going to go with the Cowboys in this game. I just think they're playing better than the the Seahawks. The Seahawks just haven't looked right all year. If you're going to make the playoffs, this is a game you have to win if you're Seattle. I think right now, it doesn't look like they're going to be a playoff team. I think the Cowboys get them in this game. That's fair. Okay, so we're going to go to our Sunday games. First one, Chargers go to New England to play the Patriots. The Patriots... Patriots and Chargers both coming off losses. The Chargers are a six-point favorite in this game. If the Chargers lose this game, they have to fire their head. You have to. Because the Patriots have looked lifeless offensively for like the last month. You have to fire Brandon Staley. I will go with the Chargers to win this game, but if they do not, Brandon Staley, they need to leave his ass in New England. That'll be if they don't fire this guy and they if they lose and they don't fire this guy, I don't know what to tell you. And yet Frank Wright lost his job. But yet, Ron Rivera still has his job. Yet, Sean McDermott still has his job. Fuck, Bill Belichick still has his job. Mm-hmm. Matt, what, what, uh, Matt Eberfluss still has his job. That's stupid. Go ahead. Our next game, the Arizona Cardinals go to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. Steelers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I normally would be all over the Steelers, but given some of the problems they've had offensively, I think I will go with Arizona in a surprise upset. I'm going to go with the Steelers. Um, you could you could beat a Cincinnati Bengals team who has all of those offensive weapons, and you win. I think it was sixteen to ten. I'm gonna go with the Steelers. I think the Steelers pull it out, and they're at home. Um, 
I won't be surprised if it's a tight game because of Kyler Murray, but the way the defense just got torched last week by the Rams um, and the Cardinals losing so bad. And I, I've, I've also praised the Cardinals defense just because they played strong. But last week, I don't think they're going to bounce back from that. So I'm going to go with the Steelers. Next, we have the Indianapolis Colts going to Tennessee to play the Titans. Indy is a one-point favorite. Yeah, it's going to be a tight game. This is a pick em game, but I'm going to go with the Colts. This is interesting because this is a this is a Vrabel-type game. Vrabel playing against a – I know he's played most of the season, but he's playing against a backup quarterback. Tennessee, who has had a lot of struggles, but they're still not technically out of the playoff race. They're, they're probably on the fringe. But they're, they technically, with a few good wins, could get themselves right back in the conversation. I will go with the Titans as an upset win here. feel like Vrabel, this is, this is the last hurrah for Vrabel the next couple of weeks. Not, not, not that they're going to fire him, but just in this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Colts because I trust Gardner Minshew more so than Will Levis. Next, we have the Denver Broncos going to the Houston, going Houston to play the Texans. The Texans are a three-and-a-half point favorite. Um, this, patterns happen in the NFL. Game. This is an interesting game. Say that again? I said this is an interesting game. Yes, interesting game. I don't know. Patterns happen in the NFL all the time. I, and I will I would because go with went from the Broncos during a five game winning streak. I would also go with Houston because I I think unlike I mean may, maybe they the the pattern continues of turnovers, but CJ Stroud is very good at protecting the ball. And I feel like the Texans, just from a coaching perspective, I feel like this is a game, especially off the mistakes they had against the Jaguars that cost them that game. I feel like this is a game where you're going to get really good Texans. And I feel like you're going to see D'Amico Ryans really kind of get into them. And we're going to see a complete Texas performance here. I'm going to go with the Broncos. If you can't escape the pass, uh, the, the, defensive, the defensive line from the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're not going to be able to, to escape the, the Denver Broncos pressure. And it's going to be a really close game. Right, what's the spread on this game? Three and a half. Yep. I'm going to go with the Broncos. Our next game, the Detroit Lions go to New Orleans to play the Saints. Detroit is a four-point favorite. I game of the week. With, what were you saying? Game of the week. Yeah. This is, a re- this is a really fun game. I will go with Detroit, but this this is an important game for the Saints. Saints are at the, the Saints are at the point where if you're going to start making your run to the playoffs, it has to start within the next couple weeks. Yep. I Both with, teams cannot lose this game. Yeah, no, if you're Lions and you want to try to be the one or two, one, two, three seed, you can't lose this game. Because no matter what you say about the Saints, their issue has been a quarterback. But their roster, defensively and offensively, it's a stacked team. And I like their head coach. This is going to be an interesting game. I think it's a pick as well. What's the spread on this game? This is Detroit favored by four. Favored by four. Okay, you did say that. I'm sorry. Um, I want Detroit to win because I'm a, I'm a Detroit fan. But I won't be surprised if Derek Carr puts the magic together to at least stay in, in to be con, um, competitive in his own division, which is a, uh, a shit division. Our next game, the Atlanta Falcons go to New York to play the Jets. The, the Falcons are a three-point favorite in this game. Well, sadly, since we've been gone, the, the horrible front office from the Atlanta Falcons has made the decision and made the announcement why that Desmond Ritter is a starting quarterback going forward. There was never any word of why Heineke didn't get the starting job after they gave him an opportunity that has a lot to do with the arrogance from the front office and their horrible head coach. Even though they put together a win last week with Desmond Ritter as the quarterback, Taylor Heineke should still be the the, the leader of that team. Um, 
I want the Falcons to lose, but I don't think they're going to. So I'm going to go with the Falcons. This is a game in which it might be the first one of three points. This game might. This game sucks. You have two quarterbacks. Uh, I think Tim Boyle is playing in this game in place of Zach Wilson. You have Desmond Ritter, who is not good. This game stinks. I I will go with the Jets just because I I don't want to pick Desmond Ritter because he's also horrible to play. I'll go with the Jets just to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Next game, Miami Dolphins go to Washington to play the Commanders. Miami is a nine and a half point favorite. I will go with a big blowout win by the Miami Dolphins, and Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera is going to get fired after this game, I believe. To echo your sentiments, I was going to say the exact same thing. I hope it's a 70-point victory that the Dolphins have against the Commanders, and Ron Rivera gets fired. But for some reason, I don't know if he's fucking blowing somebody off in the back or fucking licking fucking Magic Johnson's ball sack. He still, have his, he still has his fucking job, and if they get blown out that bad, watch him still have his job. So... I, I'm going with the Dolphins. Uh, next game, the Carolina Panthers go to Tampa to play the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are a five-point favorite. I will go with the Buccaneers. The Panthers are an, they're an abject mess, abject failure. Just I don't like watching them. The Buccaneers aren't much better, but they're better. That's a lie. That's not fair, Jess. Every every week, the Buccaneers have been competitive. Even against the San Francisco 49ers, they're still competitive. I, 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 I They're a good team. It's just Baker Mayfield got hurt last week. His shoulder is still bothering him, at least to me. He doesn't have the power he used to have in his, in his shoulder. I think that the Bucks, which I said earlier, they, they were my team a few weeks ago to um, to look out for, but they haven't been running the ball like they should have been. They've been depending they've been depending on the fact that well, if he can throw the ball down there, Mike Evans has got to be open somewhere. Chris Godwin still has not came of a lot came alive, and we're 13 weeks into the season. There's something wrong with him as well. Nobody has talked about that. Well. If Baker Mayfield doesn't play in this game, this might be one of the worst games of the season. I think he's going to play, so I'll go with the Bucks. But if Kyle Trask plays, uh, this game this game could be really, really ugly. Next, we have the San Francisco 49ers going to Philadelphia to play the Eagles in the rematch of the NFC Championship game from last season. I will go with the 49ers here. I'm going to go with, um, I don't know. What's the, what's the spread? San Francisco is a three-point favorite. Really? You know, I'll go with the 49ers because I want the I want to see what if the Cowboys can can gain any ground on the Eagles. So I'll I'll go with the 49ers. Our next game, the Cleveland Browns go to Los Angeles to play the Rams. The Rams are three and a half point favorites. Really? Yeah. I I well because the Browns, they're probably going to be starting PJ Walker. Uh, I'd go with the Rams easy in this game. I think it'll be a low scoring game, but I'd go with the Rams. Well, over the past two weeks, they started a DTR. He what did PJ Walker. I believe he's dealing with a concussion though. Okay, I'm going with the Rams. If they win, I will be so happy because I'm a huge fan of Cooper Cup, Nakua. Um, is it Cam Akers or am I th- think saying that wrong? Uh, no, I have no idea who their running back is now. They had the Williams guy. I think he got hurt. They, because they... the running back from last week just fucking killed it. Mm-hmm. He put on a fucking clinic last week. I'll tell you right now who it is. Kyron Williams had 16 carries for 143 yards. Okay, yeah, so Kyle Dillon, last week. And that's how the Rams are going to win. They're going to have to run the ball, and then you build your passing game off of that. Yeah, I will, I'll go with the Rams in this game. Um, I, I expect a huge game for Matthew Stafford. Again, in back-to-back weeks, they'll put together a three-game winning streak, um, and they'll become 6-6. Six and six. I don't know who they play in week 14. Um, I'll tell you right now, just one second. Oh, my God, I forgot. They play the Ravens. That's a, that's gonna, that'll be an interesting game. That, that, to me, that's a winnable game, though. With the way the Rams' defense has played as of late, that's a winnable game. Oh, I mean, and Aaron Donald has played great over the past two weeks. So that's a fair point. But I'm going to go with the Rams. Our Sunday night football game. 
the Kansas City Chiefs go to Green Bay to play the Packers. The Chiefs are a six-point favorite. I'm going with the Chiefs. I will go with in the a, Chiefs. I know the, Packers, game. I know the Packers have played better over the last few weeks, but I still don't trust them, especially when I think – when I look at the matchup of A.J. Reid versus Matt LaFleur, I just think A.J. Reid's a lot better of a coach. And I will go with A.J. Reid. This just feels like a game where the Chiefs – I think we're going to see a lot, of, a lot of their best stuff because this is going to be a tough road game for them and they don't really have a ton of those this season, this is a game where I think we're going to see a lot of the best Chiefs stuff. And I don't think the Packers are good enough to beat the Chiefs' best stuff. Well, I will say historically that the Packers have had the Chiefs' number, and the Chiefs historically do not fare well against the Packers at all. Um, and I think this is going to be a closer game than people think. What's the spread on this game? Uh, Chiefs are favored by six. By six? Yeah. I think that's still that, that's um, too much. But um, – it's still within one score, so I could see that. But Chiefs for sure. I'm saying okay. um, 38-34 Chiefs. I would go 27-17. Okay. That's a fair score. Monday Night Football. The Cincinnati Bengals go to Jacksonville to play the Jaguars. Jaguars are an eight-point favorite. I would go with the Jaguars. To me, Cincinnati, they have all the offensive talent in the world, but you have no quarterback. And typically, that's not a good, that's not a good combination. Well, A.J. McCarron is finally on the roster, on the, the 53-man roster from the St. Louis Battlehawks. They got to um, play in this game. I, I mean, what? I, Jake Browning hasn't been just awful, but he's not, he's not good. He's not good I, at all. He's not good at all. He, like, he they have to start AJ McCarron just. Yeah. It, Jake Browning hasn't been like Tim Boyle or Zach Wilson egregious, but he's not good. Just play AJ McCarron. He has NFL experience. He's played in an NFL game or I mean, an NFL playoff game. Just play AJ McCarron. And they're probably going to play Jake Browning, but whatever. Yeah, I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars. If they don't start AJ McCarron, I, I could see a, a massive blowout. What And the spread in this game is what? Jacksonville is favored by eight, which would lead me to believe that they're going to probably go with Browning again. Uh, what do you see the score for this game? I will go th- I will go 31 to 16 Jacksonville. I'm a, I, I go with that score as well. I think you're dead on. And that's going to wrap it up for week 13 and our preview of week 13. Well, I think it was pretty good. I mean, we had to break down the um, week, the, the at least the best games that we could for week 11 and week and week 12. Um, week 13 has a lot of good games, interesting games, and, and games that if certain teams don't win, they're in huge trouble. Week 14, I, I forgot that the Rams played uh, the Falcons. That's going to be interesting because the Ravens, some of those games, the Rams will play the Ravens in week 14. What did I say? The Falcons. I said the Rams play the Ravens. I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say. Um, did I misspeak? Yes. I apologize. Um, because just looking into week week 15, uh, week uh, what is this? This, week this is week 15. Next week is week 14. Yes. Just looking into week 14, folks, you have the Rams versus Ravens. If the Rams win this week, it's huge. Then you also have the Buccaneers versus Falcons. If both those teams win, they're going to be in, in contention for the um, first place in their division. Yeah. And then if the Saints beat the Lions somehow this week, oh my God, then what happens? They're going to have three teams that are going to battle for first place. If they all win in week 13, heading into week 14, you're going to have the Saints who are going to compete for their division, the Bucks who are going to compete for their division, and the Falcons. And both, all three of those teams are, are going against divisional teams. you got the Saints versus the Panthers, the Bucks versus the Falcons. So much is on the line. We're starting to see who the real contenders are, who could get home field advantage throughout the playoffs. We're starting to see some of the wild card teams emerge. This week is this week is going to be interesting. We got some 
I think to me, the biggest game of this week is probably looking at it. I think the Cowboys and Seahawks is a big one because Seattle, if they're going to make playoffs, they need to start winning these games. And then you have the Texans and Broncos, which are two wildcard teams battling it out. Then the Lions and the Saints, two teams that are trying to clinch their divisions. In the case of the Saints, you're trying to you are trying to get back to leading your division. And the Lions, you're trying to put away your division. And 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 just to go off of that, week 14 has the Lions versus Bears. And as competitive as the Bears were against the Lions two weeks ago, the Bears are at home this time. Could you imagine what's going to happen then? Then you have the Seahawks going against the 49ers. Huge game. The Seahawks have got to win their game. Well, and th- this is the time we're getting into big boy football. Uh, I think the game that kind of best is the best kind of symbol for this is 49ers Eagles. This is a game where you're going to have a rematch. Both of these teams don't like each other. It's going to be a game that I think is going to be important going into the playoff to see how both of these teams match up against each other. Huge games. I mean, that that game, you know, and I've heard a lot of criticism over um, Nick Bosa not step, not showing up for, over the past several weeks um, that he's kind of disappeared for the past month and a half. Um, why do you think that is? I think in general, you get to the midpoint of the season and you see some guys maybe have some down weeks. I think really a guy not having a good November isn't important as long as they're playing well going into December, January, and possibly even February. You having a weak November is less important. So a guy like Travis Kelsey struggling in November and then having a great December, January, and February, is you, you worry less about the November than you do late in the season when games become their most important. Same thing with Nick Bosa. You want him playing well going into this game and in this game, not maybe necessarily around Thanksgiving. You, you you want your guys playing well at the end of the season, not right now. You want your team peaking at the end of the season, not in November. Teams that peak in November usually don't win. Those are facts. That's fair. Um, before we go, the Chargers have gone and have embraced the same pattern as the teams before them for the same franchise, where they lose by a margin of, of I think, three or less or five or less, and they just can't pull these games out. What are the Chargers going to be able to? What do the Chargers have to do besides go young? But what do they do to secure their future? To say, listen, it's going to be the same shit over and over. Is it the ownership? Is it the GM? Is is it the players? I don't understand how for the past twenty five years they've had the same fucking issue. It's interesting because for a while it was the kicker, Jess. Yeah, I just they're one of the harder organizations to figure out because they just repeatedly have the same issue. And over two gen quarterback, over two generations of quarterbacks, you've had the same issue in which you're always down three with a minute to two minutes left, maybe a timeout or two. Justin Herbert and Phil Griffiths are basically having the same run of, well, we're kind of about around 500 and we're kind of in every game every week, but we usually lose because of some dumb penalties, dumb turnovers, bad mistakes. I just the Chargers are one of those teams where you just can't figure them out. I think it. I think it starts with going and getting a real NFL head coach, not cheaping out on not cheaping out on a guy that will take the job or hiring a young guy hoping he grows into the position. Go out and you try to get the best candidate possible and you work from there. Well, it should be interesting. Unless all three coaches get fired this week, the uh, Matt Eberflus, Ron Rivera, Brandon Saley, they have games that they should be able to win. That but if they don't and they get and if the commanders get blown out by 50 points against the Dolphins, I don't know. They they need to fire him. They should have well, fired him last year. But just just before before you leave, that to me is the game that I'm watching and circling the most is the Dolphins and Commanders. The the in the early window is that that feels like a game that if the Commanders could compete 
and they can go for, maybe score for score with the Miami early in that game, or at least just keep it close. That could be one of those games that's pretty fun. Or on the other hand, they're just going to quit on Ron Rivera after Jack DeRio gets fired. The, the, the team knows that Ron Rivera's got one foot out of the door already. They just quit, and we see him get fired after the game because they get blown out. So that, that's one of those games where you're going to be able to tell real early what's going to happen in that game. What is the difference between the Cowboys and the Dolphins? Neither team has been a, beaten a team over 500. I think Dak is a bit – I can trust him to be there more than I can Tua. That's not to say he's just worlds better than Tua, but I can trust that Dak's going to be healthy more than I can trust Tua's going to be healthy, if that makes sense. But I think they're pretty much the same team, yeah. Really? Like, offensively? There's no way. There were questions heading in, heading I, into the season about whether or not hell, even till last week, I don't think you didn't know if CD Lamb was the number one number one wide receiver. But I you knew for the fact that Tyreek Hill was and Jalen Waddle were one the the best one and two duo in the NFL. How are they the same team? Because I don't trust them going into the playoffs. I I don't. The Cowboys are one of those teams where the expectation is going to be for them to be in the, the NFC Championship game. But they could very easily lose to a team like the 49ers or the Lions in the playoffs. With the Dolphins, the expectation is going to be you have this high-powered offense. You're going to be in the AFC Championship game playing a team like the Chiefs. In reality, it would not shock me if they lost to a team like the Steelers in the playoffs. Just because you can't really trust those teams. They haven't given me any reason to trust them against great teams or even just really good teams. Well, I think that I would trust the Dolphins more offensively. But I'll tell you this, I don't like Mike McCarthy, and I don't like Mike McDaniel. I think Mike McDaniel is too overhyped as a head coach. Um, I I, understand, I like what he did last year. Um, this year, the veil has been taken off my eyes, and I can see a lot clearer. It's not because of him. It's because of the offensive players that they have on the team. He just got lucky. I will make an observation. that Mike McDaniel does remind me a bit of Mike McCarthy. That When they do what they – when they have a set of plays that if they work, the team is going really strong. If they don't, they have a hard time adjusting. Well, I think that a lot of the offensive play calling is a lot of the same. They, they, they both run different things. The, you're going to see the Dolphins have a lot of motion and they're moving guys around. But when, when their stuff isn't working, a lot like what we saw against when they, when they played the Chiefs in Germany, their offense looked lethargic for most of that game. The Cowboys, when we've seen them play the 49ers, when that stuff hasn't worked that they rely on, they look lethargic for long stretches against them. Well, I mean, I, I think it's uh, Christmas Eve. They play together. They play each other. They do play each other Christmas Eve. The Dolphins, the Cowboys versus the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are at home. Depending on where their records are, I want to see how these teams fare against one another. Because if I don't like, I, I just said I don't like any one of these coaches. If you're comparing these coaches as being a lot, of, a lot more like than people will give them credit for being, this is either going to be a huge offensive game or it's going to be a fucking stinker. And that game is in in three weeks yeah that's one of those ones where that's one of those ones where it's going to be interesting to see if we see one team definitively take a step over the other where the Dolphins or Cowboys are just much better than the other team or if it's a close game and we can't really learn anything because they're both very similar and Uh, ladies and gentlemen the Cowboys are running the the gauntlet for the Cowboys begins Thursday night tomorrow it is November 29th 2023 right now if the Cowboys want to tell people and show people how good they are they have got to beat the Seahawks. They well, have a 13-game winning streak at home on the line. If they do not... Here's how they finish out their season, actually, to get into that. They play Seattle on Thursday night. They play the Eagles at home. 
They play the Bills in Buffalo. They play the Dolphins in Miami. They play the Lions at home. And then they play the Commanders in Washington. They're going to have a stretch of games where if you're going to if you're going to be a team that wants to be taken seriously, you're going to win those games. And if they don't, then we I don't can we really take them seriously going to the playoffs? Well, five of their next six games are against teams over 500. Mm-hmm. If they lose all these games, they're not making the playoffs. Is that I fair? Think to me, the two biggest game, the, the two games I want to see the Cowboys compete in. I want to see you play a team like the Eagles and be able to finish the job. And then you beat one of the Dolphins or the, Dolphins or the Bills. Both of those teams are going to be throwing their best at you because they're, in the case of the Dolphins, they're playing for seeding. In the, in the case of the Bills, they're playing for the playoff lives. You win one of those games. And I think winning two of those three games, I think that sends a message that you're a real team. Well, and, and Detroit, that's going to be an interesting game for me. I want to see how Detroit bounces back over the next couple of weeks after their, their loss against the Commanders um, on Thanksgiving. I want to see how bad that is. That could be a game, too, depending on how the season breaks for the Cowboys. D- depending on how the season's going to break for them. You beat the Eagles, and the Eagles, got, they, Eagles have some tough games coming up. They might be playing for the division against the Lions, so that, that's going to be an important game. It, just to go to the Eagles real quick, the 49ers this week, then the Cowboys, Seattle, Giants, Cardinals, and then the Giants. The, if if the Cowboys going to make up any of that, if the, if the Cowboys going to make up any of the two games that are behind the Eagles, it's got to start in these next couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Because after that, the Eagles' schedule gets really easy. They play 49ers, they play the Cowboys, then it goes to Seattle, Giants, Cardinals, Giants again. Yeah, the gauntlet starts tomorrow. That's going to be real interesting because, again, you don't know what kind of team Seattle's going to be. And if Seattle loses, they're not making it back. I And I, and if the Rams win, I see the Rams taking over that spot. Um, that's going to be very, very interesting unless all three of those teams, the 49ers, the Rams, and the Seahawks all make it in the playoffs, which I don't see that happening. But I'm, I'm pulling for the Rams. I also like the Seahawks. I'm a huge Pete Carroll fan. So, I mean, that, that's just all interesting altogether. And then until that game against the Cowboys, the Dolphins, they have the Commanders, they have the Titans, the Jets, the Cowboys, and then after that, they have the Ravens. That's going to be interesting. And then the Bills. The Dolphins, they could be. The Dolphins season is going to come down to the last three games of the season. You're either going to tell us you're a real contenders and you can beat some of the better teams in the NFL, or you're just a team with a with a good offense. You can beat up on some average to below average teams, but you're not going to actually be a serious team in the playoffs. Okay, just real quick, before we go, they played the Commanders under 500. They played the Titans under 500. They played the Jets under 500. What is the point differential between those teams? Coming like like total. Is it going to be like 170 to 50? Is that being too nice? Because we expect them to just dominate these teams, and two of these games are going to be at home. Well, the, the thing about the thing about that, though, is that we saw a couple of weeks ago the Dolphins played the Raiders, and that was a 20-13 to 13 game. And it's not like the Raiders have the greatest defense or the greatest offense. They were able to keep that within a possession. So a team like the Commanders, where they might be ready to fire the coach, but if you don't start quick against them and they get some confidence, that could be a close game. The Titans, that's a team with a really good defensive coach. Are you going to get frustrated if things don't click early? And then against the Jets, I mean, I don't know if the Jets can provide much resistance. And then you get into the Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills. The, 
it's going to be interesting to see what the Dolphins – the Dolphins have three games, and they probably need to win all three of them if they want to stay in conversation in conversation for the one seed. But their season is going to come down to playing the actual playoff teams, which is the Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills. And I know the Bills may not make playoffs, but that's a divisional game late in the season. Bills will probably be within a game of the playoffs. So that's a fair point. Once again, that's a game you might have to – you might have to win that just to put away the Bills so you don't have to play them the next week. Well, I'm excited to see how these te- how all these teams fare um, heading down the – the final stretch of the season. Um, I can't wait for this week's games and what the implications may mean heading into next week. And I can't wait till we do this show uh, next week's show, but ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Um, I cannot wait. Jess, do you have anything else to add? I think that about wraps it up. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, for listening to our um, referendum podcast. I am your host, big John brought to you by fit flam sports. And he is your lead analyst, Jesse J. Jesse, I'll talk to you later. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a great night. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Referendum Podcast brought to you by Fin Flam Sports. We would like to invite you to like us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can find somebody, we are there. TikTok, please like, subscribe, follow, whatever you can do to give us your support. We truly appreciate it. We hope to see you next time. You don't stop. It's happening in the world today. You don't. You don't. You don't. We need to make a change one day.